I find the whole mythology surrounding superheroes fascinating. Take my favorite superhero, Superman. Not a great comic book, not particularly well drawn, but the mythology. The mythology is not only great, it's unique. Now, a staple of the superhero mythology is there's the superhero and there's the alter ego. Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider-Man. And it is in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. His outfit with the big red S. That's the blanket he was wrapped in as a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume Superman wears to blend in with us. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Hey, folks, we're back, as always, live and direct. The gang is all here. Yours truly, Captain Kirk, the Uncanny Daryl B., and I perceive our left coast correspondent, Claire Lene, is forthcoming. The call-in number remains the same, people, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. A lot to discuss, as always. A lot to elucidate, a lot to pontificate. We do what we do. It would be apropos for me to actually play a cut, you know, a chief component 
a chief cog in our spacely sprocket spacely sprocket pardon me spacely sprocket machinery deals with urban alternative music afropunk which is also forthcoming black rock coalition black rock groove um jamiroquai would definitely be in our roster uh the keyboardist toby smith has left the building at 46 years of age not a man of color but to be respected, everything doesn't have to be about being of color on our show, but really how people appeal to us and how we grouped with, with certain cultures. Jamiroquai is definitely the, – the group was a funk, jazz, funk, R&B group out of UK. Uh, we know JK is the lead singer with the fancy hats, but Mr. Smith, who died really relatively young, 46 years of age, man, it's just, you know, folks are, are cashing out very early, uh, from an undisclosed cancer he passed on at 46 years of age. So it would be apropos because we would play, we would and have played music uh, like Jamiroquai. Jamiroquai fits very comfortably with a show that honors the urban alternative. So what better music to play but Jamiroquai? So fortunately, Mr. Smith has left the building, but in his honor, let's play a Jamiroquai groove. This is Jamiroquai Function, function. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
you know our listenership knows me so well. It's hard for me to break a groove. Jeez, a game that was uh, Jamiroquai. Uh, one of my early experiences with music buying, uh, especially in the 90s. Uh, shout out to Captain Kirk's predecessor, Iron Man, a.k.a. Mr. Starks. One of, the, one of our pastimes when there was such a thing as a record store, or as Prince used to say, a record store. <laughs> when it was such a thing. Uh, I was heavily, we were both heavily into acid jazz, acid jazz and jazz, jazz funk bands. Brand new heavies was hot. Uh, Jamiroquai certainly was hot. Incognito, all those groups. So uh, it's, it's unfortunate that again, you know, uh, someone who I would perceive as a contemporary held a guy 46 years of age has left the building. Toby Smith, the keyboardist for Jamiroquai. Anyway, people, um, wow, people are leaving. It's, it's really incredible. Let's just get into this, people. Uh, this is the Grindhouse. The gang is all here. Let's, be, let's just get this going. Captain, you're needed on Rigel 25.5 around the a, around a corner from Planet Brooklyn. Let's get to it. Darryl, you sound angry. You sound angry. You need to get that frustration out. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can feel it. You know, he might have an actual superpower because I can actually feel the, the uncanny's tension. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm being serious. I can tell when he's angry. But that might be because of my own vast mental power to be able to tap into that for you mortals out there. I'm just saying. <laughs> this show is called Afro. I'm going to go into that kind of rant. Anyway, uh, the mysterious man of mystery, am I, am I like a double entendre, mysterious man of mystery? Uh, he is the uncanny Daryl P. Uh, we could not do the show. Seriously, we could not do the show without any kind of efficacy. Uh, we know that the gentleman from the red shirts, they want him desperately. <laughs> I heard the podcast, baby. I heard it. Anyway, he is the uncanny Daryl P. Let me let me just before I get all angry, let me thank David Walker, let me thank Sanford Green and the whole team behind Power Man and Iron Fist for fifteen great kick ass issues of brotherhood and camaraderie. Let's do this. All right. Listen. Did you hear the music? Did you hear the funk? West Coast funk, obviously. See, the queen of our show, you know who this woman is? A game. Somehow she is the uncanny doppelganger for real. The audience, had, the audience shouted out, why don't you have this young lady on the show? Make her a permanent resident at Africa Radio Studios. And your wish is our command. So, is that, is that how it says? I always get that confused. Anyway, <laughs> she is the high priestess of dismantling whitewashing. Yes. She is Claire Lene. Claire, is that you? It is I. <laughs> How are I'm you liking doing, that. I'm liking that. Queen, <laughs> high priestess. Ooh. 
I like I, that. I like that. I know, I know how to speak to you, girl. <laughs> you me, I know how to speak to you. It's my own little secret. Uh, so, how how are you? Doing I'm good? doing okay. Doing well? Doing okay. Right. You know, just one day at a time, one day at a time. Yeah, but they brought that back. They rebooted it, by the way. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> what, what? Netflix. Hey, you know what? They rebooted it diversity style, so some things do happen. It's actually a, a, it's actually a Latin. Uh, Daryl, am I correct that yeah. one day at a time has a has a brown face attached to it now? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a right. it's it's more in the Latino set, and it's good. It's good. It's almost like fresh off the boat with the stuff they could get through past a, ABC's marketing stuff. So, the iconic Rita Moreno, I think, is also on that show. So I think it's mm-hmm. going down. All right, uh, Daryl, you had a, a a preview rant. You were you sent me you sent out a tweet, and I couldn't resist it. Uh, a tweet about um, Milestone Media. Just to the listening audience, we we we're big fans of Milestone. Milestone was a, a predominantly uh, Afrocentric, but to be true, a diversity because it was uh, Latin, Asian, and African American heroes. That was the centerpiece of that business model. It was a DC side imprint and big names like Reginald Hudlin and our own Joseph Illich were connected to Milestone Media. So uh, we were very elated that the, the comic book community was extremely elated to hear that they were coming back with a Milestone 2.0. Um, but Darrow said, he put out this tweet, this ominous tweet that, you know, I, don't, I really don't want to talk that much about Milestone, but he, gave, he threw a little shade toward Milestone Media. So I want you to elucidate in your own way what's up with your beef, if that's what you want to call it, with Milestone Media. What's going on? Here, here is my thing. And this is, again, you guys can call me Warner Brothers slash DC uh, hater all you want. They, they advertise to the moon, all right? About milestone, about milestone. We're bringing milestone back. It was what, two two San Diego Comic Cons ago, one, two. It was so. It's it's been at least over a year that they two. said they were two, two, two. Yes. Thank thank you, Cap. That they said they were going to put this out. They said, oh, we 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 have uh, uh, in honor of Dwayne McDuffie. And and uh, the groundbreaking work being done uh, out there now, we're going to bring back the originators. We're going to bring back the uh, and, and we got Reginald Hudlin and we got Joe Illich and we got and they said all of this jazz. It has been two years. What have we seen? Squat, zip, zilch, nothing from y'all. And it's a marketplace right now where Marvel's screwing up. I just led myself off saying about how they just canned Power Man and Iron Fist. All right? We've seen the fights that fans have been having with various Marvel guys about diversity and stuff. This is was a chance for them to capitalize on the marketplace. And they have failed. All right? So, folks out there... All right, I'm being very 
conservative with my words because if you know me, you know how much of a huge Icon fan I am. Even more than Static Shock, I'm an Icon fan. You know how much I liked Hardwire. You know how much I love Rocket in the Shadow Cabinet. <sighs> Being calm here. Being calm here. But, but hey, hey. Why should I have gotten my hopes up, right? I'm the guy that said we had to be reserved about this. I'll believe it when I see it, okay? But for all you saying that that I'm just hating on Warner Brothers in D.C., think about this, all right? Wonder Woman comes out in June. How much advertising have you seen D.C. and Warner Brothers actually done to this point? I'm not saying Patty Jenkins. I'm not saying Gal Gadot. I'm saying how much advertising have you seen from Warner Brothers in D.C.? I'll wait. Once again, action speaks louder than words or tweets. Again, for all you guys in the back, actions speak much louder than words or tweets. So I got my Warner Brothers thing out of my system, Marvel. Get ready. I'm going to get in your asses next. Back to you, Afrinerd. All right. Uh, quickly, because I know Daryl hates to explain yeah, stuff. <laughs> I know he hates to explain stuff, but just for the listening audience, you know, he mentioned some heroes that folks who may really not be familiar with, with uh, Milestone. Again, if you remember, Milestone uh, came out in 1993. Uh, based on our numbers, we have quite a few listeners that were, weren't around in 1993. So when he mentions heroes like um, Icon, Icon is safe to say Icon is a black version of Superman. Uh, he even comes from a different planet. Matter of fact, Icon was uh, he, he landed during the Antebellum South and was a slave because as a alien, he his he he would be able to imprint. He could imprint whatever species he encountered. Uh, first time around, if I, remember, if I remember that correctly. So the first species, of course, that he saw were, was human, and he happened to see a African slave, so he became an African – he, for all intents and purposes, became an African slave. So from the 1860s to the present, he was a black person, although originally he was a slave. I know it sounds – I mean, I mean, sorry, he was originally an alien who became a black person and, and for, stayed that way. So that's a pretty interesting story. And he was, he was a Republican. I'm not even going to go there. The Afro-Nerd icon Republican connection. I don't want you listeners throwing shade toward me. But anyway, <laughs> icon would also be – I'm sorry. Uh, you mentioned hardware. Hardware might be uh, a, analogous to Iron Man. There's a few – but sepia-toned Iron Man. So uh, I have to concur with what – the Uncanny is talking about. I mean, two years in the game. Now, I see our, we have a friend from Chi-Town. I got to keep it close to the cup, Sergio, because we have a lot to get through. But I think he wants to say his two pieces because he knows Mr. Hudling personally. So maybe, just maybe, Mr. Mims, again, from Shadow and Act, always check out Shadow and Act. Um, maybe he might have greater insight. Serge, is that you? Uh, no, I, I wasn't going to say anything about that. <laughs> okay. Hey, I just he's, had he's, some, he's here for Star just, Wars. <laughs> no, no, I had some box office movie news. 
Okay, oh, right. even better. Some, this is this is historical, right? But this weekend, F. Gary Gray became the first black director to have the biggest hit worldwide in film history. What? Um, F. Gary Gray directed The Fate and the Furious. That right. film worldwide, as of tomorrow, will have grossed Five hundred and thirty million dollars. Wow. It is that is that is the biggest topic. opening. That is the biggest opening for any film worldwide. It beats Force Awakens. Star Wars. Yeah. Wow. Right. Well, to, to all those people that said the franchise was dead when Paul Walker left, all they had to do was add add um, Stadelman and uh, and and The Rock full time, and um, boom. But here's the catch, right? Okay. Believe it or not, he is he has the biggest film, okay? But worldwide, the biggest di- black director with the most amount of money worldwide is still Tim Story. Ooh, well, he, Tim he, Sto- did, he did uh, the uh, Fantastic Four movies, right? Yeah, but if you add those films and ride along. And uh, what else has he done? If you if you take the worldwide grosses of those movies, since not, since 2005, his films have grossed 1.2 billion worldwide. So right? it, wait wait in one weekend, all right? F. Gary Gray has yes. made just about half of what Tim Story has made combined. Right, which means that in about two weeks. He will be the biggest box office, black box office director in the world with just one movie. Oh my God! Because well, the last Fast and the last Fast and Furious movie, uh, Furious Seven, that grossed one and a half billion dollars worldwide. Yeah, that was uh, Justin Lin, I believe. Right now, so now I got I got to say this. I gotta say this. So what what happened to Zack Snyder? Like again, Batman and Superman. No, no, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Claire knows what's going on here. Batman and Superman should have had those numbers. Wouldn't it be safe to say that? What the hell happened? Well, first of all, first of all, I'm amazed the film still did as well as it did, considering nobody, everybody hated it. Who are these people? I mean, that film still did. Maybe eight hundred million worldwide. Wow. I mean, and everybody hated it. So who's going to see this damn picture? We, you know what it is? It's the same thing with Iron Fist, uh, <laughs> Mister Mims. It's the same thing. We say we hate it, and then out of hate, we end up watching it. And the problem is, when you end up watching it, you still have to pay them. <laughs> so whether whether you love them or you hate them, you're still giving them the money. So they don't you know, care. Okay. We're, we're you know, still getting paid. You know, I, I don't get it because I hated that last Furious 7 movie. I mean, look, I, I, what happened to action movies? Maybe I'm just an old fogey. You know, I like action films that are based in reality. When you're flying through the air through high-rise high rise buildings and that kind of stuff, and I go like, oh, come on! And now in this new one, you're outracing a Russian submarine in the in the Arctic, <laughs> and, and I'm like, and I go like, 
And, and, and first of all, it's not real because it's all computer generated, so there's no weight to it. It's not happening. Maybe I'm an old fogey. You know, funny, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and we were talking about, do millennials today re- know what floppy disks are? Probably, probably not. not. <laughs> you know, probably not, you know. And back then, that was cutting edge. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now it's like I'm just an old fogey, I guess. Maybe I sir, should go back to writing letters with a pill, with a quill pen or something. Well, sir, I'm going to send this action stuff today. Well, sir, listen, they have thumb drives now, so a floppy disk, you forget about that. But, um, yeah, you know. <laughs> I, think the larger, I think the larger issue, the larger issue is, after after the debacle, I, I may want you to speak on what happened with Ghost in the Shell, but after the debacle oh, of, God. Of, yeah. of that movie, and now, again, you have a black director, a very multiracial cast, second time, uh-huh. well, actually for, for quite some time, these series, but last the last movie, $1.5 billion, and right. that's the first time people started to make the connection. Oh, wait a minute, this is a multiracial cast making this money. Now it made with that same multiracial cast, it made more money than anybody. Now where is the yeah. excuse? What what's going to happen now with the excuses? Uh, this this assumption that with with what happened with ScarJo, that you can't make that you can't make that 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 uh, connection anymore. Something they got well, they're going to have to concede to that now. You know, but, but you see, but you see, but they were talking about that even before then. When, 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 when the the last few Fast and Furious movies were making this huge amount of money worldwide, they were talking about it's this multi-racial aspect. It plays everywhere. It plays in America. It plays in Africa. It plays in South America. It plays in Asia. It plays all around the world. Right? World films are worldwide now. Of course, there's a you make more money overseas than you do domestically, uh, and so the point is that it is ridiculous. And by the way, let me just add that the number one that Get Out still is, as of this week, still the highest-grossing film domestically for a black director. All right, uh, Jordan Peele. Now, Fate and Furious will beat that by next week. Easily. So you have this new generation of black directors who are, Moonlight did more money overseas than it did here in the United States. You know? Okay, but, but, the, the, main thing, but the main thing I'm, I'm concerned about, and I see that our, our friend um, Q-Storm wants to ch- chime in. We're going to bring him in in two seconds. The main thing what we're concerned with, and I, and I know Claire also wants to probably speak on this, is that we can't, we can't continue to see this teeth pulling. I mean, if the if the five hundred million, I mean, one in one shot. Listen, we're not even seeing the the superhero movies coming in like that. Yeah, right. I mean, okay, and also also let me add, uh, Harry hidden Potter. figures. Harry no, Potter. let me tell, let, let me add also, hidden figures has grossed two hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide. Wow. To date. Wow, for that kind you of know? movie. That's a small film. Right. Right, there's a very small movie, $250 million, that's 10 times what the film costs to make. But Ghost in the Shell <laughs> could do shit, right? So anyway, what does that I wa- say? I want to bring Claire in the conversation, and then we'll go to Q-Storm. Claire, you're out there on the left coast. I mean, this is, I had no idea. I have no interest in seeing the, the Furious films. The last good one 
was the first one. I really dug that one where the, the, it was grounded. The cars and everything were actually on the ground a little bit. Hey, Tokyo uh, Drift is pretty good, too. Tokyo Drift I'm, is pretty good. Well, that's, uh, I that uh, right? We can disagree on that one. I You're yanking my chain. <laughs> uh, so, so, so what are your thoughts about this news, this kind of money? $500 million, Claire? Yeah, I, yeah I, you, guys, you guys were, like, talking so fast I had to, like, write stuff down because I know that I was going to forget something along the way in, what, in which to comment. So just to go back a couple steps to my doppelganger. So Seven, the previous Fast and Furious movie, was directed by James Wan, okay. not Justin Lin. Thank you, darling. Yeah, you're right, James no Wan. Right, right. No worries, no worries. Um, yeah, you know, I hear you. I hear you, Sergio. It's gotten to the point where it's okay now for for these uh, souped-up, you know, action movies to go beyond reality. It's just utter ridiculousness, and you see it in some varying degree all over the place. I mean, in 2000. Uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before. It was uh, there was like several um, espionage type of movies. Several. It was Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. It was Kingsman, Secret Service. It was uh, the James Bond movie, Spectre. It was that uh, Melissa McCarthy comedy spoof, Spy. We had several of those types of movies uh, going on that year and. Ultimately, yeah, the through line is is that bigger, flashier, faster, louder, crazier, and it just you know it just it just par for the course now. I mean, nothing is grounded in reality, and that's so funny that you just mentioned that the first movie, the cars, you know, the wheels actually touched the ground for a good portion of the movie, which nowadays you know it just doesn't seem to be the case. They are they are errant, they are airborne. But um, but um, in terms of something else that you mentioned, I just want to touch on real quick. And I know it's it's fascinating to me, right? It's fascinating. How in the hell does something make so much money when it gets such scathing reviews? And I remember thinking that there's just been so many examples that we've seen across the board, whether it be something like Batman versus Superman, where, you know, the reviews, to say that they were unkind, I mean, and I, I count myself among them, okay? I left the theater pissed off, okay? No exaggeration on my part. But, yeah, you're right. It made well over $800 million worldwide. They were pissed off that, oh, you know, we should have made a billion. Damn it. So we'll just have to, you know, cobble some comedy, cobble some scenes together for for Suicide Squad and just kind of churn that script out in, like, you know, six weeks, see what happens. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I, I hear what you're saying because, again, we just – my doppelganger, he, he caught me before I could even, could even mention it. Iron Fist. Iron Fist has had the – most negative reviews thus far for the Marvel Netflix, you know, uh, landscape that 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 production relationship, it's been pretty solid thus far in them building up that uh, that platform with Daredevil, 
Jessica Jones, Luke Cage. And so everyone thought, oh, oh, they're slipping. They're starting to slip. We got a dud. But the numbers, the numbers don't lie because it ended up being a hit. It ended up being rock solid in, in terms of viewership, even though people were talking trash about the show, making fun of it, pointing out all its flaws, pointing out the fact that it's actually pretty damn slow for a for a karate, you know, chop suey, you know, you know, martial arts show. Everyone says that it's boring. So that's remarkable to me. Remarkable to me, let alone all the controversy or you know, uh, pseudo, you know, semi-controversy aside in terms of a missed opportunity to to cast an Asian-American lead. But that aside, the show apparently has its flaws. But the thing is, is that a lot of of times now people are, are willfully watching stuff that they know they probably won't like just out of sheer curiosity because there's in in Hollywood everyone knows this there's no such thing as bad press the only kind of bad press there is is no press when nobody is talking about you but hey oh man look at this so many people are talking about iron fist iron fist well there must be something going on i got to check it out i got to take a look i got to see for myself just how quote unquote bad it is so all that viewership still counts towards towards the ultimate goal, which is, well, ratings. People are watching, even if they're hate-watching, even if they're talking trash afterwards, you know? So it's going to get renewed. The show is going to get renewed, and for all we know, it's going to stick to their same formula because, hell, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, everyone wants to talk about how much they hate it, and yet, and yet, y'all watched it. I haven't I seen it personally, but I it mention. doesn't surprise me that it ended up being a hit. I haven't seen Ghost in the Shell, but again, on the flip side, on the flip side, the politics, you know, revolving around that were a little bit more pointed than with Iron Fist. So again, am I shocked that it's going to lose sixty million dollars? Am I shocked that the Great Wall? Lost $75 million? No, I'm not. And will I be shocked when they do this again? No, I will not. I will not be shocked. I got to mention this, um, uh, just to Sergio's point. Fast and Furious 8 drives to $135 million two days box office in China. That's crazy, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it, had, it had the biggest event uh, ticket sales in any movie in China. Right. Uh, for I should say, I should say for a uh, Western movie, I still believe I'm going to have to check this. I still believe the highest-grossing film in Asia still is The Mermaid. Um, uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen, um, oh gosh, he did Kung Fu Hustle. I mean, I mean Kung Fu. Uh, you, is it Yoon? Is it no, Yoon? no, no. Oh gosh, what's his name? Um, but anyway, I, I believe well, I have a question still is, for you. I have a question yeah. for you because you were talking about these these numbers, and these numbers are are remarkable, remarkable. It's 
it's difficult to compare because the business model is it's it started out as this one off an experiment and the only reason why it was allowed to continue is because initially nobody and i mean nobody took it seriously back in 2001 okay so my question to you is that yes this movie has shattered records in terms of you know box office revenue uh black directors and 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 I think this year is basically is um I think this year is F Gary Gray's like you know 25th year in the business and so this is like you know wow right this is a coup for him this is huge but my 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 question is is are you saying that this is the highest grossing worldwide take like uh worldwide haul Ever like ever ever? No 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 or no. I'm saying the biggest take for a black director. Yeah, the biggest take for a black director worldwide. But wait a minute, you said okay. for a movie, movie, a movie for a film. But wait, a, but wait a minute, is it? But you said something. I got the impression. I understood that, but I thought that the 500 million for the first uh, week. That has anyone ever done that kind of business? Like the first worldwide, like first. I mean, as the week hasn't even. Yeah, we still we, got we, Sundays okay, off. Let me re, let, 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 let me go back. This, no, this is the biggest opening opening weekend that's opening on, for a movie. Yeah, had to be worldwide. Had to be. Yeah, that's crazy too. Right. For anyone ever. For any film ever, it beats it beats the previous record holder, which was The Force Awakens. Okay. Yeah. See, that's what I, I just needed some clarification. Okay. See, right. yeah, that's, I'm sorry. That's incredible. Right. That's incredible. And this is a franchise that has been built over 16 years. That's true, too. And, right. You know, they for a second there, for a second there, they wanted to uh, scrap the original cast and try that whole nonsense with Tokyo Drift, which is, again, a beautiful, hysterical, hysterical example of cultural appropriation. Now, I know people want to say, oh, here's, here's Claire with that SJW nonsense. No, it's an actual thing. If you go back, this is something that goes on all the damn time, where white boy goes to Asia, learns the ways of the Orient, and then is able to master it better than all the Asians that have been doing it forever. That is the formula. So Tokyo Drift is basically that, you know. No, but when, when I'm talking about Tokyo Drift, when I said I liked it, was I liked the chases, the car races in that film, you, particularly like the opening one that takes place in a housing development that's under construction. That's right. amazing. That's one of the uh, best well, car races ever in, me, in that. Film. I, I understand, yeah. and you're right. It is a bit more grounded, and it's not so dependent on you know ridiculous. Rigging and stunts and choreography. It's actually very, it's very grounded and it's it's more simplified. I I agree with you there. I agree with you there. But in terms of of people not really clicking in, you know, to wait, we got something here. We got something. But people are showing up here. It was when you know after that you had four, five, six. You know, all directed, including Tokyo Drift, but he he stayed on for four, five, and six. Justin Lin, 
and bringing back the original cast and, and again, reiterating and maintaining that sense of a diverse international cast, a worldly cast, that's where the money is. That, they, they don't even seem to understand. People want to act like this is such a fluke. How did this happen? How did we get here? Well, that's how. That's how. And you already covered that, and it should be, it should be logic that if you're able to have some sort of representation, inclusion, you know, reflection of the world as it truly is, not just Kansas and Nebraska and the Midwest of, of, of U.S. of A., then yes, yes, that's, you're going to have more, more butts and seats, more people going out in droves to see it. And ultimately, ultimately, black and Hispanic buy more movie tickets than anybody else here in this country. On that's that note. Been the way you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't understand the excuses. They're so steadfast in believing what they believe and, uh, and talking uh, the, a certain way. Oh, it should be logical. Serge, hold on. On that note, i got to mention a couple of things because we have uh, Q-Storm. I want to hear his words. Q-Storm has a uh, – I believe he has a review of, of the, the Furious film. Uh, you were referencing Stephen Chow. Stephen Chow is the, the actor uh, and right. director. And I, of I, those believe, I believe that is the highest grossing. That film did about half a billion in China alone. So I want to go to Q-Storm, and then we're going to go to this uh, – our thoughts about Flashpoint and whether – the DCEU can be rebooted. Anyway, uh, Q, <laughs> we have a lot of folks, a lot of voices. <laughs> Real quick, um, have you guys already talked about the Last Jedi trailer? We're going to get to that, hopefully. We've got about an oh. hour and a half. Yeah. We're, we're now, going I'm to talk about that. My, I, I, I'm, I'm on my cell phone. I'm going to rush home, get on my regular phone, so you can hear all my vitriol in pure glory. <laughs> But um, All right. in regards to sure. in regards to, uh, I just wanted to say in regards to Fate of the Furious, I saw the movie. I am not a fan at all of the Fast and Furious films. I've seen maybe three of them, including this one. I like Furious Seven. I think that was just a sympathy vote because of the uh, tragedy surrounding that movie. What Paul I do want to say about uh, what I do want to say is I am so happy for Gary Gray because I saw Set It Off. I didn't know that he had directed it at the time. I, I liked that movie and I remember of it. But then I saw The Negotiator, and I was like, yo, th- this is the director. Okay, I-, I need to see more of his work. I need this brother to keep working because that movie to me was excellent. And I was so pissed when I bought the DVD and saw all the special features with them going behind the scenes. And they at no time did they interview Gary Gray at all. It was all the white uh, cast members and all the white crew. They, they didn't give uh, Gary any credit. You would thought he'd never directed that film. That film was brilliant. So I'm so happy to see that, uh, 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 according to uh, Sergio's facts, facts that that he is uh, that he is uh, the the guy who directed this film. It's not a great film, but I'm ha- I'm so happy that he's getting this, these accolades. Well, That's don't great. forget Gary F. F. Gary Gray was he was I wouldn't say he was in movie jail. But his career had taken a real slump. He did Gate Shorty, which did no money and nowhere was as good no, as. He did, uh, he did be, he did be no, cool. I'm sorry, not Gate Shorty. Uh, the, the sequel. Be um, cool. Be cool. Uh, I forgot the name of the sequel. But he did be the cool. sequel, cool. which was. T- 
Be Cool. He did Be Cool, which tanked, which everybody hated. It was nowhere near. He claimed later studio interference that they recut the movie. There was a film he did with Vince Diesel called A Man Apart, which totally nobody saw. And he was drifting for drifting. He was adrift, adrift for a while. He came back with Straight Outta Compton. Straight Outta Compton was his dream project. He did that picture. And until Get Out, it was the biggest grossing film domestic. It was the biggest grossing film domestic for a black direct. Straight out of Compton, it did like 160 million just in the United States alone. And then um, from that, he did Fate and Furious because he was the hot guy now. And now, like I said, with something like 530 million, it may be higher than that. We'll see the numbers tomorrow. But at least 530 million uh, worldwide in three days. You well, know. I, you know I- what I would say to that is, you know, Steven Spielberg has directed his share of Turkey. If he doesn't get put in director's purgatory, I don't think Eric Garrett no, Well, first of all, he already had Jaws and Close Encounters and a bunch of other movies. So <laughs> it's not really the same thing. Well, you know? Gary has uh, said it all. He had the negotiator. He had the you know, but job. No, but negotiator wasn't that big a hit. And set it off made money, but it didn't do like Jaws money. It didn't do like was, Close Encounters money. There was solid you know. films though. Well, well F. Gary, F. Gary Gray will always get my respect for the iconic Friday film. I mean, Friday alone, we st- we're still talking about Friday. So maybe we, I mean, that was 20 some odd years ago, but maybe uh, we saw a little glimmer of his talent with that comedically, how that was, but that was his first film, Friday. So I think, uh, but if you look at the list of films that he's done, well, yeah, this is Straight Outta Compton also. The fact that he was involved in that, um, you know, he's on a good roll. So, but it seems like it's a long time coming considering that I thought the Italian job was a great film too, so. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, you see, that's right. I forgot the Italian job. The Italian job made money, made a lot of yeah, money. Did. Right. But, and, you know, and it, and I it, mean. And it makes you wonder why we haven't seen a sequel to that. Well, no, there was supposed to be a sequel. It, it didn't get off the ground. He was supposed to do a sequel called The Brazilian Job. But it didn't, it, for some reason, it never got off the ground. <laughs> the Brazilian right, Job. Yeah, I know what you're we're thinking. Gonna have to... I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Gentlemen, we're going to have to cut. Oh, yeah, I just got that myself. We're going to have to cut it. We, we still have uh, a lot more topics, so we've got to get through these topics. Uh, Sergio, you're welcome right. to kind of hang around because this is something I think might uh, be of interest to you. It's on a movie tip. Uh, it's probably going to make Claire uh, angrier. <laughs> um, Uh-oh. Well, listen, this whole DCEU, not to be confused with the MCU, DC Entertainment Universe, um, there's been talk. Now, I really can't confirm this. Maybe this is a theory that's out here, out here, but it makes sense somewhat that with the forthcoming Flash film, and again, Who's to say that we might, have, we might not have Jordan Peele involved with that? Who knows? So many directors, so little time. That they may try to do a, a live-action Flashpoint, as far as a uh, silver screen version of Flashpoint. And for the listening audience, Flashpoint is pretty much a storyline in the comics, in the animated, Daryl knows about this stuff intimately, that essentially reboots it does it. In a, it does it in a very creative way, but it reboots the entire thing. 
So for all the crap that we've been subjected to, uh, Man of Steel potentially might include that. Man of Steel, you think of Suicide Squad, you think of B versus S. If they, if the, if we, and if Wonder Woman doesn't do well, and, and, and again, I want Wonder Woman to do well. But if you have this litany of stinkers, and then we get to a flash film, cinematically, thematic, thematically, if in the film, Flash goes back, goes back in time. This is what they did even in the CW series. If he does something in that film and he screws around with time, some folks are thinking that might be the jump-off point to reboot, get, get out a big giant eraser and erase the entire thing and give you the DCEU you've always wanted. So I'm going to go around the horn how realistic is this? Let's go to the uncanny. That's what's out here. What are your thoughts about this, Dow? Is this a possibility? Well, I, I will just say it like this, all right? Whenever you say the words flashpoint, it's not that, that, ugh. you know, it's frustrating because they got it so right in the cartoon. And then the, the series, ugh, you know, like, as I said, in regards to the Flash series doing Flashpoint, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing it better with the framework right now. That's mm-hmm. what we wanted from Flashpoint. Now you're saying we're going to possibly be doing it in the movie? Again, this guy in the metal suit, he's going to try to do this. or that That's their plan. He, he, he's well-versed in using the, his powers enough to try to attempt this. To, as their their uh, what's it Ducks X Mahina to try to fix the whole franchises, folks. If you just followed the line of statements I just made, it'll just show you how inane I think this idea is. But by all rights, go right ahead and do it, DC, because you know I love watching bad movies. Back to you, Afro nerd. Oh God. Um, Captain. What are your thoughts about this being a potential a potential um, safety valve for DC? Well, I, I personally feel that they get into the Ashton Kushner butterfly effect. The more they try to fix it, the more they f up at this given point. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I don't think, and that's just uh, standard chaos theory, by the way. You have to define your beginning and end points correctly, meaning which you have to start off correctly. They didn't start off correctly. I think personally. And then you have to know how you're going to end up. Hence, you know, Marvel had a very good plan. They knew how they were going to start, and they knew pretty much how they were going to end up. So, you know, you got butterfly effects in there, but not that much. These individuals with DC, the more they try to fix it, the more they're effing up. So I think it would just be another (laughs) effort along the situation. I don't think that they could, uh, you know, fix it from that standpoint. Because it still plays on your mind. You didn't erase anything with us. You're trying to erase it, but you didn't erase it with us. We know what's going in. It's just like we, everyone wants to see a good Wonder Woman movie right now. I know I do. I want to see Wonder Woman kick some ASS in this movie. But we're going in on some, oh, I don't know. This is DC. I know how you. DC just been doing DC. <laughs> like as Dow say, Fox is going to Fox. DC is just doing what DC does. So, they could try to do it via this flashpoint. Let's see what happens, but I think it's just another effort, in my opinion. 
There you go. After I, I see that our friend, from the, uh, another person from the left coast, I have him on hold. Uh, I want to hear from Claire, and then we we'll go to John from our, our friend from the left coast. Um, Claire, what are your thoughts about something like that? I know you and I go back and forth about how bad I feel the DC, DCEU really is. But if this is a chance to cinematically uh, just switch things around, like I mean, literally give a reset button where we get different actors, uh, just a whole different thing, why not? What are your thoughts? John, coming up. Um, okay, so first of all, first of all, I just wanted to be clear. This is not official. This is just a, a theory uh, a potentiality, speculation, and you know, the interwebs, you know, they they take these ideas and these uh, these notions, and and then it's up to us to to decide if we want to run with it, or you know, or just just disseminate how or, or why it may or may not work. So I just want to be clear: this is not official. Just for the folks listening, that DC. The DC Extended Universe is not officially trying to reboot itself with any sort of flashpoint, you know, live-action storyline. This is a theory as to what they could use should it become necessary to go back to the drawing board and reset itself. Now, a couple of things that you guys mentioned. I... I happen to think Flashpoint, the story in and of itself, is actually pretty fascinating. There's so much there to mine in terms of, you know, really interesting stories to to explore, you know, because, frankly, that's why we're all interested in, in time travel. We're all interested in, you know, different universes and, and different different realities and all that. It's it's just it's interesting to see how something could have played out in another another world, right? Another version of ourselves or of our of our potential lives. So it is an interesting story. I never read the comic, but I did see the animated version of it. And I'll say this it had a lot going on for it. I will say that for sure. I don't like the way it opened because it just, honestly, it, for those of us that haven't read the comic, there was such a disconnect between, between you know, the opening sequence of us seeing the Justice League, you know, kicking ass, saving the day. There's such a disconnect between that and then when Barry wakes up and realizes that he has reset the course of events on historical, you know, proportions by going back in time to save his mother, okay? In terms of the rest of the the thing, I thought the rest was pretty good. There was just that, that blip where it's like, wait, what just happened? What? Huh? I feel like I'm missing something here. A chunk of the story is not... It's not even being shown to me here, and I just got to play catch-up. So that's my only my, – my beef with the animated. The rest of it was great. You know, the whole interaction with Thomas Wayne and all that was great. The CW 
version of Flashpoint for its season three premiere. What a wasted opportunity. And we have discussed this at nauseum. How are you expecting us to encapsulate the entirety of Flashpoint in one episode, in 45 minutes? You just wrapped it up all nice and tidy with a bow, and now everything subsequently is feeling like damage control, redundant with this whole thing of, of, of Savitar, you know? Now, I'm not going to get into my qualms and my issues with Flash. I already said it. Season 3 is its weakest, okay? It's been its weakest thus far. Just going to leave it at that. How do I feel about this theory, this potentiality of Flashpoint being used to reset the DC Extended Universe on the film side? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, frankly, that just reeks of desperation. That's pretty pathetic to me. I'm just going to lay it out. That's pathetic. You gave Zack Snyder the keys to the kingdom. You just gave this franchise to this man. So unless you're going to say straight up, you're fired, you know, in full-on obnoxious, you know, Donald Trump style, like really, like you're fired. Unless you're willing to cut ties and take his hands off of the of the franchise, his no, not even any sort of consultation, not any sort of supervisory type of you know role or or figurehead, role, nothing. Nothing. Unless you're willing to really do that, then having any sort of even threatening to, to reboot is just a lost cause. It's just a waste of time because you've already set yourself up for failure. You're already setting yourself up to make the exact same choices, the exact same mistakes that have led you down this path. You're barely counting, even though technically... This is debatable because I've heard different theories as to whether or not they even intended upon having a universe, remember? Because for the longest time, it's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that Marvel crap. We're not going to do that. We're not going to have everything all connected. No, we're not doing that. Well, now look at them. Now look at them. They are, they are struggling to keep up, struggling to, to catch up. That's why everything feels slapped together and rushed, because I personally do not believe that they had any intention upon doing this when they made Man of Steel. Again, people want to say things like, no, no, that was the first movie of this whole DC Extended Universe. Well, by default, yes, but not originally intended. By default, it is now considered the first film to set up the franchise because Zack Snyder directed it. But between that and Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad, I mean, let's just say the results have been less than spectacular in terms of box office receipts or critical reception. Okay, so frankly, this whole 
even just the notion of doing a flashpoint to reset everything just in case everything falls to pieces, just in case Wonder Woman and Justice League are a disaster, just in case Ben Affleck is like, peace, I'm out. Like, I'm not even going to be Batman anymore. Like, I'm done with you. Like, for you know, for this whole emergency, you know, break, you know, I just, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know how I feel about it. We are already kind of like raising eyebrows when, when Sony reboot, rebooted Spider-Man, like within five years of the Tobey Maguire version. We were already, you know, raising eyebrows when Fox was rebooting Fantastic Four. We know, we, we can smell it. We can smell desperation. We know when a movie is made just to make money, just to keep the rights to that property. There's no plan, you know? So this whole thing, I just, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm still pissed off at what they did with the CW Flashpoint, let alone them trying to talk about this nonsense with the movie. So forget it. Forget it. All right. <laughs> Let's listen to your left coast uh, compatriot. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of eager to hear what Mr. Hutton has to say. Uh, and then we'll go to a groove and then we'll come back. I want to talk about the Black Panther and the crew number one. I'm eager to hear what Daryl has to say about that. Uh, but let's talk. Let's, let's hear from John. John, stalwart listener Yo. and supporter. What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing all right. Happy Easter, guys. What's up? I'm sure oh, you have something man. to say about this, uh, about the DCEU, this potential. Oh. It's kind of floating around. It's kind of floating around the Internet. Uh, as Claire has said, it's not really defined. It's not really anything that has been um, put out there as straight from the studio. It's not definite. But I'm intrigued by the notion that they may do some kind of reboot via Flash, the movie. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, first of all, falling up Claire, that's a tall order for me. Oh, my God. I could just listen to that whole thing again. Um, my thought on it is, you know, I'm going to do the wet blanket on this. It's a really bad idea because I'm of the opinion you really can't make a second first impression. And we've already got this tape in our mouth. Even if they do a reboot, we're still going to remember what came before it. Perfect example for me, X-Men. They tried to reboot it with Apocalypse. All I have to ask is, how did that work out for them? In my opinion, it didn't really work. So, you know, you ask what I think of it, I think Claire got it right. It is an act of desperation. They're trying to get the audience back. Well, the only way you can get the audience back is to not reboot it, but to completely and utterly destroy what you've already done. So don't do flashpoints. Do Crisis on Infinite Earths is what I have to say to that. Back to you. Nice. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what about what he said? I didn't even think about that. Cause that, that uh, well, you know, but, still, but listen, let me, let me say this, and, I, and I'll give you the mic. Either way, it still is a kind of soft reboot from the old universe. You're still doing something. Like, if we, let's say they were to explore that. Uh, that might work better thematically than, than uh, Flashpoint. Because Flashpoint, in theory, all of the players would remain the same. It would just move things around a little bit, but the people would be the same. But if you were to do uh, a crisis, 
then you're talking about literally uh, different universes, different uh, Earths, and that is a way to actually see, I mean, really see different people in the role. So he's on to something. Crisis might be a better look. It might, it might, make, it might be a better explanation. But um, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there really being like a, a, a reboot. I don't know. I don't know how else it, how else you would be able to get around, because because it, it was what would happen is, in order for them, for, in order for, for for what John is saying to work, I'm not even talking about um, a, a a crisis. It, you're, you're really talking about stopping everything and waiting like five years to start start all over again. I don't think they, I don't think they want to do that. So, what are your thoughts? Firstly, John, that that wins the conversation right there. A crisis movie that would kick so much; it would be unbelievable. It would also be like a seven-hour movie, <laughs> given the way that Warner and DC shoots these things. It would be like seven hours. Bring your blanket, bring your sleeping bag. Ho- hopefully, you got a strong bladder, you know. But just my mind, hell, hell, I would. I, DC still hasn't done this. I would have loved to see a crisis cartoon. An animated film crisis of infinite. Oh my God, that would kick so much ass. But you know what? Uh, wait, wait, hold it. I, I said it before. Captain proved upon it. DC is going to DC. Warner Brothers is going to Warner Brothers. We the geeks, we the blurs, we can think this way. They're just thinking bucks. That's it. They we we get in depth. They don't. I guess that makes them quote unquote better than us in judging these things. But as everybody's brought up so far, you know, we kind of know a little about it. But hey, they're the experts, right? So uh, thumbs up to you on that suggestion, Mr. Hutton. That was great. Back to you, Afrinard. Yeah, I'm intrigued by that. I'm a little bit more more inclined to go that route if they were going to do something. But um, you know, Claire had talked about this. This is uh, this reeks of desperation. The only thing is, is that we've been seeing that from day one. They might as well follow through with the desperate thing. They were desperate since when they came up with B versus S. The the, the, the race was on since then. But, but I think uh, I don't see I don't see any other way because they cannot continue to keep on going in on this on in this in this direction unless these movies continue to make money. I mean, we don't like them, but they still seem to make some money. How, that doesn't make any sense either. But Afrinerd, to steal from Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction on their run in Iron Fist, you know, you'll have you'll have me stand up and go like this. You know what the most fearsome four words in the English language is? Snyder has a plan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like that. That's I like that. That's the bad thing about a company like this or all the companies that are, you know, distributing and producing, but they're not, they're not, you know, they're not focused on comic books. They're not focused on source material. They don't care. Okay. That's, that is the reigning contrast between Marvel and everybody else. Okay. They don't care about 
canon or what's in you know lore or what's in you know the new 52 or what's in this iteration or that iteration and honestly i'm beginning myself to question how much pull or clout or how much you know how ingrained jeff johns is into the development process anyway honestly honestly to me that is starting to look very much like a figurehead title because that's the comic book guy, and then you got the, the the studio people. But to marry that together, it's very challenging. Unlike, I, I gotta admit, but the thing is, is that I'm just gonna say this, just like what you guys are saying. Like we're all passionate about all these kinds of stuff, and and in terms of the characters and the development, and oh well, that's not deconstructing these these heroes, heroes that we are that are beloved. Okay, deconstructing them before we've even had a chance to get to know them on screen in this iteration, in this form, it's all about just making the money. And maybe they don't even really care about bad reviews amongst the critics or the fans or the whoever, because ultimately we just talked about other examples in which it's still going to get viewership. People are going to still want to see this, just out of sheer curiosity, you know? Some are ardent, ardent supporters of DC, okay, loyalists, some are those, yes, others, others are watching because they want to see the train wreck, they want to know how bad it's going to be, they want to laugh at it, you know, either way, either way, it's going to make money, it's going to be seen, so I just don't think that I can even take them seriously anymore, I just laugh every time I hear about some new fangled gizmo type, you know, you know what I'm saying, in terms of shiny new toy, shiny new toy mentality about how they approach these tactics of, of, of moving the story forward, you know? I just can't take them seriously. On that note, I want to definitely take a quick break. Um, I will say this quickly, uh, maybe Daryl is aware of this, that Jeff John's name comes up as kind of usurping the role from Snyder, that if they were to pursue a Flashpoint and now that the great John Hutton has spoken about this, an actual crisis, crisis might be more attractive. I'm like, I'm really digging that. I don't know why I didn't think about that. But uh, if, you, if they were to go to crisis or even if it's a flashpoint, whatever way they want to reboot this, Jeff John's name, name comes up. And I'm uncomfortable with Jeff John's actually taking a role. Cause Jeff Green John's Lantern. Green-lighted Green Lantern. <laughs> so I, I'm not, they would, he, he, he will tell you that was a great film. Hell no. Listen, listen, you know who we need to get on there? And a lot of people of color may uh, bark at me for this. There are no two guys that has as much DC knowledge with Darwin Cook now off the scene than Mark Wade and Paul Levitz. Get the two of them consulting them on these books, please. I'm not saying Grant Morrison. I'm not saying Scott Snyder. But the, the fountain of knowledge that Wade and Levitz have when it comes to the DC universe, just get them consulted on your freaking films already. I'm good. Let's, let's go. Right. I, I've been right. pretty calm to this point. This has been amazing. It, it is. <laughs> For you. All right, folks. This is the Grindhouse edition of our podcast, Afternoon Radio, of course. Uh, everyone is in attendance, fully attended. We have the mighty, uh, the mighty Claire Lene, Left Coast correspondent. We have the uncanny Daryl B. 
Captain James T. Kirk, and yours truly, D-Bert. This is Cedric Gervais. Give me about two minutes. Make me feel. We'll be right back, folks. Did I ever tell you how you made me feel? How you made me tell you how you made me feel? How you made me feel? Did I ever tell you how you made me feel? How you made me tell you how you made me feel? How you made me feel? Once again, Cedric Gervais, make me feel. This is the Grindhouse, folks. You know that. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Of course, we're giving you the best of urban alternative group, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, and all that jazz and jazz. Anyway, getting back into the fold, getting back into the fold, um, I want to move things along a bit. I got a chance to check out. I think the highly anticipated Black Panther and the crew, uh, just to give a quick backdrop, we know of the comic book, The Crew, going back, how long has The Crew been out? Uh, maybe 13, 14 years, early, early aughts, I think, The Crew. Christopher Priest, the mighty Christopher Priest, and drawn by Joe Bennett. Uh, the Crew, I, I, I don't want to say it was the Black Avengers, but... We might as well say it was the Black Avengers for all intents and purposes to make things easy. War Machine, uh, Josiah X, Casper Cole as Black Panther. Uh, just a phenomenal book, more, more edgy, streetwise book, and it was sepia tone. So now we're coming back into 2016, 2017. We have Ta-Nehisi Coates, 
a famed writer, also from the Atlantic, and he's also happens to be a, a blurred, has full comic book knowledge. Check out Fanbros, several Fanbros uh, interviews actually. Uh, Howard University, I know I, he attended Howard University. I think that um, uh, Wakanda's favorite DJ, Ben Hameen, knows Tanasi personally, so I would implore our listenership to check out those interviews, but that's where I found out, oh, okay, this guy knows his ish. So, uh, he's got a gig with Marvel, and I think he's, he's loving it. I mean, who wouldn't love being able to write your favorite comic book character? So anyway, they've given him the keys to the kingdom, like Claire just said, but I think he's doing it right. He has Black Panther, and he has the world of Wakanda with Ms. Gay, Roxanne Gay. Black Panther and the crew came out this week, and it revitalizes or is kind of a ghost to the original crew with black characters. And again, you might as well call it a Black Avengers. But the way that the first issue came out, uh, being written by a person of color, I think that's important. I think it matters. This has been a, this has been something we've been talking about. There's one thing for uh, these 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 uh, characters to co- to be created by people. I have no qualms. Let me. I, I want to make it clear. I don't want people to think that a person outside of the ethnicity can't write a, a character of color. Not saying that. Uh, J. Michael Trzinski with his run of Supreme Power and how he, how he wrote the black characters. And that run, I thought, was excellent. I had no qualms about that. I mean, that, get that dude. He's that dude. But I, I do think that more than on an occasion, you might want to have an Asian writer doing an Asian character and others and beyond that. But... It's a little special that you can see. So when I heard, when I read Black Panther and the Crew number one, pick it up, pick it up, people. I could tell that even the way that the, the it, it read and the way that the characters spoke is one of the few books I've read in a long time where the characters seem to be, oh, okay, this is legit. The way it was drawn, it felt like Harlem. So it's something about this book that is off to the races already. So I want to I want to allow the the mighty and the uncanny Daryl B to, to weigh in, but it's something about that bill, the number one that I see it's on the real. Daryl, your thoughts about Black Panther and the crew number one? Okay, we're going to disagree on a point here, and I've, uh, while I've been doing the show, full disclosure, uh, on Twitter when you hit my feed, I want you to check out a thread by Steph I will. All right. If you hit my feed, you'll see I've already highlighted it where we get into a certain character's portrayal. That'll come at the end. This was a good start. It was. I'm about to get to the reservation, though. This was a good start because it gave me a 12, the 12, which was a book by JMS type vibe in the beginning, showing us some black heroes that were a part of Harlem, you know, very Kurt Busiek-esque. You know, like a hidden history type thing. That's cool. This first issue focuses mainly on Storm and Misty Knight. And I like the portrayal of Storm in this. 
okay? And I like that they call out the Americops that, that are playing a big part in the Sam Wilson, Captain America storyline to date. Okay, I like that. I like that Tanasi Coates gives a, a good feel of Harlem, sorta, and I like how Butch Weiss is drawing this. That's great. My major reservation is a big one, though. Who the hell is this Misty Knight? Where did Tanasi Coates find this Misty Knight? Because it doesn't line up with Misty and the aforementioned Power Man Iron Fist book, and it really doesn't line up with her and how, how she's being portrayed in Sam, Sam Cap's book, all right? That's my problem here, all right? Ty, I know you, you, it's a person of color writing the book. That's good. That's good. I, I'm waiting for that. Person of color is drawing the book. That's great. That's what I've wanted. The character cohesion, though, if you are like me, and I've been following most of the ethnic books, most of the POC books at Marvel, and Misty Knight is in two or three of them, okay? And then you come out with this book where her attitude is totally different than how she is in the other, cop, in the other books, especially when it comes in terms of the cops, all right? I brought up the Americops. Her and, and Sam Wilson have been battling them, battling ideologies with them all in that book. And literally here with Storm she and, and Black Panther and the crew, she is almost saying, well, what's wrong with them, right? Like, wait, 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 how could this be? And this, both books are running concurrent with each other. And you're giving me two very different forms of view with her, with her character. Don't get me wrong. I like this as a start. But the problem is, when you get a major character wrong, it colors how you view the whole book. All right? I got to see how they continue with Misty Knight's character. But since she's a big part of the quartet that's going to be in this book, you know, you get that wrong, you you risk getting the team dynamics wrong. All right, I, and again, I'm not I'm not crapping all over the book because there's things about this I really like. All right, but Ty, come on, man, which this, this version of Misty that you have here was only in the first part of Power Man I, uh, of the Luke Cage uh, TV show. All right. And as a friend of mine, Sis, points out on Twitter, by the end of the show, she was this character no longer. So, Ty, come on, man. You got to rectify this. Uh, but, guys, pick the book up just to check it out. I'm telling you, pick it up, check it out. Please support the book. At least support issue one and see my reservations, see D. Burt's love for it, because I can't afford to lose more here, all right? You, you've asked for the book, support the book, please. Back to you, Afrinerd. All right, let me, let me say a couple of things, then we'll move, move along. We'll pass the mic around. Um, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I will say I might have, uh, you know me, I'm a little, I get a little uh, hyped up quickly. I'm not going to lie that tonally Misty Knight was a bit off. 
Like there was some things that she was doing and the way she was, her characterization wasn't what I am accustomed to seeing from that character. Uh, usually she's a little bit snarky. She's, a, she's, she's got, a, you know, there's a little bit of that 70s flair with her, let's face it. Uh, with Fearless Defenders, she was still Misty Knight. So this is the pr- first time, I will admit to that. I guess, I guess what caught me off guard was, A, I could tell that the, the, um, the dialogue was more real to me, like how real people actually speak. Logistically, it felt like Harlem, like actually looking and reading and feeling Harlem, even when they were, you know, the, the women, including um, Aurora, um, they were sitting in this cafe. It seemed like a, a Harlem cafe. I mean, it was, I, I had to admit that. And it, it was very political. I mean, they put in a Black Lives Matter references, um, police malfeasance, uh, an underworld kind of a, a – it it, but you could say that he definitely had a lot of the Luke Cage Netflix series on his mind which is not the same as the comic book. So I guess he tried to meld the two, and that might have been a little off-putting. Uh, the, the 1957 prequel, where we saw a really a different iteration, the, the, the uh, forefathers to the crew, that was interesting. They, they, he was able to create a new set of heroes, black heroes, that protected Harlem, that, for all intents and purposes, reminded me of, let's say, Agents of Atlas, which was also a group from the 50s, a 1950s team, uh, that was multiracial, multi-everything, uh, multi-species. You had Jimmy Woo, you had Namora, you had Marvel Boy, Gorilla Man. So there was something about the, the early black protectors of Harlem, and 1957, and then it brought me back, oh, this is like... Agents of Atlas. So there was things going on that I, I kind of vibed on. I guess my whole thing is I felt the book was real enough that it should be it should be bought. It should be purchased. This complaint that Marvel has that has been discredited to a certain degree, um, if they write books more like this, if you're going to do diversity, then do diversity full throttle. That's really what the problem is. Wouldn't you agree, Daryl, is that it, it seems as if Marvel has this whole thing about, well, we're going to make the face of the heroes diverse, but not necessarily the background talent. The, the, You've got to have people that look like the heroes for all intents and purposes writing this stuff in order for it to really become, become like glue, I think. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, there's going to be a certain dissonance. All right, and I'm not. I'm different than most people. I will give a writer a chance to go with it, you know. But you run the problem, and we're gonna. I, I, I'm reading your mind. We're gonna get into the Miles Morales problem in a second. All right, I, it, that one's coming up, and you may, you guys out there may be surprised at my take on that. All right, when you don't have the person of the actual race doing. The voice, you know, you run into this difficulty, and we still don't have any black women writers, you know, seriously at Marvel. You know, we had Roxanne Gay, but she lasted the first five of World of Wakanda, and I don't think she's doing six, which comes out this week. 
you know, and she was the only one on staff. And I would have loved at least, Ty, at least consult with a Misty fan or something uh, when you're going to give her doing these soliloquies on the cops. Because literally, to me, that was the only thing wrong with this issue. <laughs> but the problem is, it's a big thing that's wrong with the issue. That's like me saying, you know, I liked Amazing Spider-Man 2, the film. I mean, Gwen was good, and I liked, I liked Jamie Foxx as Electro. But you know... Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker felt really wrong. There's the problem. How could you like Amazing Spider-Man 2 if Peter Parker is the thing that's wrong with it? That's the problem with here. I like the book. I like the concept. But you're using Misty and Storm as the two major building blocks in this foundation to kick the book off. And you get Misty wrong. How can you build a strong house on a foundation of sand? Back to you, Afrinerd. All right. I couldn't say it better than that. Uh, let, let's move things along um, quickly. Uh, I, I, just talk about business. I'm kind of curious. And then I also want you to expound on the Miles Morales thing, because all, all that I know about Miles Morales is that there's a crossover proposed and that there's uh, the gentleman from, from Get Down, uh, Shamik Moore, is doing the voice for Miles Morales, where we might have thought Donald Glover, who did it a few times, well, more than a few. I think Donald Glover did did it with the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, correct? Yes. Was he? Was okay. So, but I guess because he's in, I mean, he is in the live action. Maybe they didn't want to go there. I, I mean, listen, you have James Brolin as Thanos and as uh, Cable, so I, there's no rhyme or reason with having people doing double double duty. I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Before we get into the, the Miles Morales thing, let's talk about this another speculation, which I don't know how to think about this. Um, well, I do know what to think about. I think it is it smells like Monopoly, and not the video, not the um, the board game. Uh, I'm hearing Apple is proposing a merger or a buyout of Disney for an X two hundred billion dollars. Uh, Cap, did you hear? You know, you are on the business side. Did you hear anything about this? I mean, this this is. I'm not a fan of iPhone or Apple products, so I know this is going to screw me. What are your thoughts about this potential buyout? I mean, really? Why, why would it screw you? <laughs> why would it screw you, you know? Well, listen, we, we, we'll be forced to have access to Marvel property by way of iPhones and iTunes exclusive. Listen, Apple gets down not user in a user friendly way. That is for sure. That's what I don't that's, that's what I don't like about it. That's what scares me. Well that's what that's what all monopolies are about. They try to force you into doing things. It's after people. You know how corporations deal with people. You know, they don't care about you. Ultimately the power does go to the people, but if they can force you going one way, they'll do it. So it, it's business it's business as usual, you know. That's the way I see it. I don't have a problem with it. That's what these corporations do, you know. So they they do. I really don't have a problem with it at the end of the day. Our, our friend Houston has returned, but I want to give the, give the mic to Claire. Claire, briefly, and then we go to um, to Q. Uh, did you did you hear anything about this Apple deal, Claire? I mean, this this is like Big Brother for real, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think? 
Um, I didn't hear anything about it. I, you know what, it really depends, I mean, in terms of, in terms of corporate merger conglomerates, you know, um, like, you know, taking over, <laughs> taking over commerce, taking over the world, um, I would say that I don't really know what to think of it. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy, and I really... I don't know. I I don't see I don't really see it happening necessarily. I just don't see it happening um partially for for you know ownership reasons in terms of of Disney being its own powerhouse, Disney owning Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar and you know what I'm saying? I just I have a hard time believing that they would would be so willing to <laughs> I don't know. I mean, hey, money talks, so who knows, okay? But the thing is is that if Donald Trump or Congress or whoever is already humming and hawing about AT and T buying out Time Warner for about eighty four, you know, eighty five billion if that can't even get through, I have a hard time believing that this will. So I'm not sure. I don't know. That's an interesting, very interesting move on, on Apple's part. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about that that is a little uh, a little unsettling, I would say. Yeah. I, I, would, I would say the same thing. I, I didn't like it. Uh, before we speak to, to Q, and I also want to talk about the um, – I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to discuss the Star Wars thing. I think we should – you know, because of time constraints, we should talk about that as well. The, the Star Wars Last Jedi trailer, teaser trailer. Um, I, I will say this. From what, I, from what I heard about this merger or potential merger is, A, it's a way to combat or offset Netflix. That's what I've heard, and that it's a way for um, – for Apple to shore up its content, that all the content that Disney and Marvel and Star Wars, think about that. That's a lot of content that Apple products want to have access to. So I never shirk at something that's put out there as if it's smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> we know where that comes from. So I'm, I'm just, I don't like it. I don't like Apple. So maybe I'm prejudicial in that direction. Q, any thoughts about about this, and then we'll segue into the Last Jedi trailer. Yes, I have some thoughts. Uh, as many of you know, <clears throat> I uh, have my own business. I work in uh, video and multimedia production. And I built my business on an Apple platform. I'm right now in my office, in my home, looking at two, three Apple computers and two Apple laptops. <clears throat> now, the, the iPhone... The first iPhone came, oh, I'm sorry, not the iPhone, the iPod. The first iPod came out in, I want to say, 2005. Would I be correct on that? You're probably about right. 2004? Okay. I suspect that if this merger goes through, <clears throat> this will be Apple giving the final FU to people like me who are devoted to them, but they are slowly turning their backs on us 
ever since they developed the iPod, and they don't give a crap about us professional people who made our make our living using their product to deliver to our clients because they want to be a merchandise store and they want to be now they want to just be content providers they have turned their backs on us our, our, us business users when we invested thousands of dollars in Final Cut Pro and they decide out oh, of hell with it Final Cut Pro 7 that's it now we're going to make a Final Cut Pro 10 for all those iMovie users who are shooting with our iPhones and our iPads. We're going to make it simple. Forget the, the business people. Well, we have the iPhone now. Okay, we're going to make it easy for people to develop content, and we're just going to continue to let the MacBook Pro laptops and the desktops just slide into oblivion. So this will be the nail in the coffin, as far as I'm concerned, to Apple being a, a technology company that develops a hardware product that people like me and creatives like me and other people can continue to function in a working office or business. True. That that's true. And and hey, I'm just shocked that Apple has that much more money than Disney. <laughs> you know, hey, but but as Q just stated, you know, with the amount of things that businesses bought directly from Apple to keep their businesses going, now I'm not shocked by it, but when you, uh, uh, I, I'm one of those guys, I'm late to the tech game. I see Apple, $200 billion to try to buy out Disney and, and its holdings. And I'm like, Apple has that much money? That was my first reaction, folks. I was, I was shocked. But as Cap said, this is, this is the ultimate cornering of the market. Good luck with this one. If this goes through, start playing the, the uh, as we're about to say, the Imperial March theme. We're about to go there. Any time the Apple CEO walks into a room. Back to you, Afronerd. And be prepared, be prepared to only be able to, I wouldn't be surprised, be prepared to only be able to view Star Wars content on an Apple TV. Another thing is, when is the last time you saw an Apple, an Apple advertisement for a laptop uh, well, not a lot, for a desktop computer. It's it's right there with the Warner Brothers promotion of Wonder Woman, the film. For the laptop or the desktop? Both. Oh, okay. Well, I, I'll put, uh, then I'll rescind that. I haven't, I haven't seen a desktop uh, commercial for Apple. I can't. The last time I remember seeing one was for the iMac, and that was like four or five years ago. Yep, that's the point, Q. You haven't seen it. <laughs> that's why I said it's right oh, uh, there with the Warner Brothers promotion of the Wonder Woman film. I, okay, you haven't I, okay. seen it. Okay, we're on the same page then. All right, let, let, let's make you the, the point, man, Q. Um, the last Jedi trailer, the teaser, you seem not to be happy about this. Uh, I, I think the rest of the Internet is rejoicing maybe. Uh, what what do you you know? Tell oh, us what your thoughts are. God, what's going on? I love you guys to death, and, and I hope I don't make enemies of you. But listen, this I'm is Star why Trek, I man. think. Don't worry about me. I'm Star Trek. <laughs> no, 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 no I, I'm Star both. Where, I, I, I walk the line. I walk the line between Malcolm and Martin. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> listen. All right. <clears throat> listen. <laughs> um. Uh, I just found out today that, uh, and maybe you guys can corroborate this, that Abrams is not involved with this even as a producer with that the new film. That's true. Okay. Whether he is or not, I don't know if he has dispatched his minions who are on this film now 
to to uh, put this together. But I saw that trailer. I got two things. One, Ray and Luke, uh, Ray and Luke in a training situation on that island equals uh, Luke and Yoda training on Dagobah. Right. The, the, the fighters that are uh, approaching the white, that are going across the white sands to fight the at ats equals the, the rebel fighters going across the white snow to fight the at ats And to cap it off, uh, the, the dog fight at the end in space with the X-Wing fighters and the TIE fighters equals every freaking Star Wars movie we've ever seen. If I even get an inkling that this is going to be another one of an Abrams-like rebooting, or not rebooting, uh, plagiarizing the original film like he did with Force Awakens, I'm going to rip up all, I'm going to take all of my Star Wars toys and throw them on the ground and light a bonfire. Oh, man. And, and I'm saying one last thing. I, I'm going to say one last thing. And anyone who wants to shout at me, come at me. I am sick and tired of seeing Jedi fighting Sith. Do not tell me that there you cannot make a Star Wars story that doesn't have the same G-damn story theme all the freaking time. Rogue One, which is my second favorite Star Wars movie of all time, one of the reasons it is, is the, although we saw Darth Vader kicking ass, and I love that, it did not involve some pathetic Jedi talking about, oh, I'm going to, I don't want to go to the dark side. I must stop. I must not go to the dark side. Do not go to. I am sick of that crap. So don't tell me you can't make a Star Wars story without the Jedi and the Sith in it. You, you, there <laughs> must have been some other threat to the galaxy. Now? There must have been other threats to the galaxy other than the Sith. I'm sick of it. Can I interject? Uh, uh, Cap, one quick thing, I, and I wanted to Cap to have his day his piece i will say this q you know what you're asking for when you make the because i listen i'm not really a star wars guy i mean I, i'm in it because i'm a, i'm a blurred so i'm in it tangentially uh when i was a kid i was in it but rogue one rogue one brought me back in and rogue one is dare i say the fast and furious of the galaxy so there we go you know, you know, you know well hey it's just a coincidence Donnie Yen and all those cats were breaking things down the way I like it. I didn't feel like I was looking at a, a, a hokey space opera. I like ass kickery, gentlemen. That's my thing. Jim Brown style. Jim Brown in space. Jim Kelly in space. That's what Rogue One did for me. So if you're shocked that, you know, the sepia and the brown and the yellow and the red weren't in full effect for this next iteration, because you see... Uh, metaphysically, the black man is asleep. I'm just a, he's asleep. I, I, I picked up on that. But hey, I don't have a dog in his race. <laughs> I don't have a dog in his race. Okay? He, the, the, he, the white woman kisses him on the forehead while he's asleep. No. After her, <laughs> oh, God. We would have transported my ass to Westworld in my fantasy and yada, yada, yada. That's just me. He, but he's not world, lying. It, he's not, not lying, people. He's not lying. He's telling Black the truth. I told my son. My son said, "My uh, dad, can I see the new trailer? I said, son, remember, uh, what was the last state of consciousness that you saw Finn in at the end of Force Awakens? Well, he was knocked out. He was knocked out. He's still knocked out, son. <laughs> he's still knocked out. 
metaphysically, Hollywood is telling you, Negroes, go to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's my, that's, 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 I had enough fun. Captain, I'm sorry. I had to get that out. Captain, please. Well, you see, the basis of Star Wars is the fight between light and dark. That's why I was looking for from the dark. Hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish. Oh, my God. That's why it was necessary for them to do a Force Awaken, not Force, I mean a Rogue One, which was an offshoot. It's not really, it's, it's a Star Wars, but it's not really a Star Wars. It's an offshoot. All right? That's why it was necessary for them to go that route. Now, if you look, based on what he said with the trailer now, you know, if you look at Luke Skywalker, he said, you know, the Jedi need to end, right? That doesn't mean they're going to end, but if light versus dark. Inherently within the dark side, there is the light. Why? Because darkness parasites from light. If you open your door during the wintertime, you go with the law, one of the laws of thermodynamics, the light runs out. The heat runs out of your house. So the darkness is getting you. When you walk through your neighborhood during the night, it's mainly dark. Light is around you a few places. So it somewhat makes sense if that's where they're going to follow. Now, from my standpoint, Rogue One was good. Force Awakens was not good. Some of these Star Wars movies are not good. You know, a lot of people like Empire Strikes Back. There are a lot of people that's their favorite and everything else. I understand that. But some of these things are not good. But I know a lot of people are looking to be inspired like how they were when they were younger with these films. It's not new anymore. You can make a good film, but, you know, it's not new anymore. That's the basis of Star Wars. Just like the basis of Fast and Furious is you run around in your dumb cars. <laughs> That's what it is. That's just the basis of it. That's the, just like what you do in Star Trek. The basis of Star Trek, what do you do? You know, Scotty beam me up. That's just the no, basis of it. There's no, so much no. you can change it. No, you know, you want to no, disagree, no. that is the basis with it. They, they, so if you're going to bring, okay, really, Captain? <laughs> you want to yeah, Star I Trek? Yeah, I did that. In, in, in Star the Trek, they had, Kling, they had Klingons. Romulans. Uh, yeah, they had the it's, still, it's still the big. Look at 1966 and look at the later films. 1966 when they had the TV show. It's still the same thing they're giving you. There's it's nothing the new there. It's the same thing. It's, it's the same right. thing. No. There's nothing no. new, Q. No. It's the same thing. Look at Discovery. Look at Discovery. Yeah. Don't think Discovery's not the same thing? Yeah, it's, it's the same, same thing, man. It, no, yeah, no, you're not. No, 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 no. of repackaging. Hollywood no. Yes. Massive no. 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 Listen. Listen. Okay. Listen. You're, you're entitled to your opinion, Q. But I'm, I'm gonna, you I want disagree. to. I want to set the record straight. What you, when you what you're calling the same thing, it is the foundational themes of Star Trek. The foundational themes are starships and exploration and a military ranking. Yes, that's going to be in every Star Trek. But they had they fought different enemies throughout the really? seventy years. Or how long it has been? They fought. They fought They're different enemies throughout that. They didn't always. I mean, let me ask you a question. Why do you? Th- it's interesting that uh, when the first Guardians of the Galaxy came out, they said this is the Star Wars for a new generation. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to guarantee you that in the next Guardians of the Galaxy, they're not going to be fighting Ronan again. They're going to have a new enemy. So what I'm saying is. Why does it always have to be, you know, people write this stuff. They make it up out of their heads. They can write whatever they want to to a certain suspension of disbelief. 
So if you're telling me that the, the Jedi, you can't have a Star Wars story unless the Jedi are fighting the Sith, I would say you're not you, that. but you're very limited in your creativity. I didn't hold, say that. Hold on. I said the basis. I said, hold on, hold on. The basis okay. of Star Wars is the fight between light and dark. Why that, is that that's what they're dealing with? I would say the that's basis of Star Wars is the way they didn't have to fight the Sith. I didn't say that. <laughs> that's the okay. basis of it. Rogue no. One is an offshoot. So they're doing something a little different, but it's still light and dark. It's the same thing. So they gave you a little something different. It's the same thing. Well, well let me let me bring in our friend again from the left coast, um, John Hutton, uh, because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want you to think that, you know, logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. But I, I know I didn't hear that again. I didn't hear that a second time because they don't Hollywood doesn't really repeat itself. Anyway, well, J.J. Abrams <laughs> repeats himself. That's what that was. That, <laughs> but we didn't hear that again. You because Hollywood doesn't repeat itself. Anyway, John, welcome back. Yeah, I know you have a dog in this uh, race. Obviously, what are your thoughts about uh, the trailer for uh, the Last Jedi? Uh, first off, I loved it. I, it reminded me a lot of uh, Empire, but it did so in a way that I actually kind of liked. Um, as far as like the the whole idea of you know the Jedi must end, I really see that as like the end of Lord of the Rings. You know when uh, Gandalf uh, finally leaves and it's the end of the Third Age. I think that's the ending they're kind of going with here, where at the end of this trilogy there won't be any more uh, Jedi or Sith. What do you think of that? Well, uh, according to USA Today. Other folks are weighing in just like you are. You just said. I'm going to read this quickly, and uh, they kind of hinted at that. Uh, it says here, I only know one truth is time for the Jedi to end, which is, of course, what Mark Hamill said. That's a pretty charged statement to make in front of a packed house of Star Wars nerds. But after his quick non-speaking appearance in Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, has some pretty deep stuff to say in the first teaser trailer for the next saga episode. He looks to be... The Yoda to Daisy Ridley's Ray, which we've already deduced that, though the old Jedi Master doesn't seem to be as in love with the Force as he once was, or is he? There are many more layers to be revealed and much more to come, but I thought that was a really good starting point just to let everyone know this might not end up being what you expect. Uh, writer-director Rian, Rian Johnson, or is it Ryan? Ryan Johnson told... USA Today after debuting the teaser at Star Wars Celebration Friday. So I guess what they're saying is that they might go in a totally different – they might scrap this whole thing, and they're hinting that they may, go in a different, they may go in a different mythological direction. Introduce okay. the great Jedi. That's what, that's what they should do. <laughs> no, what they should do is take some money, go visit Jason Aaron – or Charles Soule or Kieran Gillian, who are doing the Star Wars books over at Marvel, or go deep into yeah. the past, find Jan DeSurum, find Peter David, who did the books over at, at Dark Horse, and ask Horse them for good. an opinion. You know, just because... Yeah, I'm... I'm I have to agree with some people. I'm hyped for the Star Wars movie, but honestly, I'm on. I'm with Q here. If you told me 
you were going to just rip off Empire in themes, then guess what? We should have just re-showed Empire again. You know, because this this theme is fully Empire. All right, don't get me wrong. I'm watching it for Kelly Marie Tran. All right, I've been a big <laughs> fan of hers. Okay, I, I I make no bones about this. All right, and Claire, this is how we're going to get you in the Han Solo flick. You're, you're going to have that secret role and then work your way up. You know, we, we're going to do that. But I love you. <laughs> but we 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 just got to just tell J.J. Abrams and his cronies, guys, you got a chance to introduce something new to the mythos. You don't have to be holding to the past, all right? We're starting fresh. We're starting new. You broke away from the novels, that's fine, okay? But you don't have to use the same old themes. Or if you're going to use the same old themes, don't have it to be a shot-by-shot and rip off of what we did before. Come on, JJ, you're smarter than this. Isn't isn't that what Q was saying? I mean, if I remember correctly, (laughs) didn't they blow up another Death Star in the last Yeah, yeah. That's, that was definitely a problem. That's definitely a problem. <laughs> but, but also, isn't there talk, ironically, just like Fast and Furious is going to be probably a Fast and Furious 25, if, if you're getting $500 million takedowns, I wouldn't doubt it. But aren't they talking about somehow going back into another rogue picture? Although, yes. How could you do that? Was killed off, all that coloration yes. was killed off. How are they going to do that? <sighs> I, I had heard that. Gonna, what but all, but all I will say, hold on. Are they going to okay. give you the Rogue Rogue One, the whitewash version? I'm just saying. Uh huh. But but I will just say this, uh, and I didn't get a chance to speak on it, but I'll say this: the major reason this uh, the fate of the Furious uh, um, success is surprising to me is that w- they just did Triple X: The Return of Xander Cage. Yeah. And and that that <laughs> felt like a Fast and Furious pick, and I was that like, was terrible. Wait, wait, but I was like <laughs> having hold it, and I was like having this type film so close to when you're going to release the Fate and the Furious, would it hurt it? And obviously the answer was no, and I continue to be shocked by that. Now, if you're if what what Deeper saying is true, and oh well. Rogue One is successful. We want to do another film. See, this is where the meme of the the kid uh, standing with the question marks around his head is. I'm making that face right now. The whole point of Rogue One is they all died to get the plans out. So how exactly are you going to make another film and call it Rogue One or Rogue Two? That has the import and the importance of the original film. You see, this is where you get into Ocean's 13 land. <laughs> this is where, we, uh, like D-Bird said, you get into, well, we're going to do Fast and Furious 25. What are we going to do it? We're going to do it in space. Wow. I've heard that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That's right. There you go. Back to you, Afro nerd. Well, uh, hey, great Jedi coming up. Great Jedi. I got, a <laughs> I got a confession to make that Furious 8 is Furious 25. For it to be the eighth film, that, it might as well be 25. 
I, I don't know. I guess I kinda ha- I'm kind of going to have to see this film even though I really don't want to see it. The first <laughs> one was the best one. The line that Dom says to the late Paul Walker, that's the kind of, com- kind of, of dialogue I like to hear. When he says, I got you, I, ha- I almost had you. And he says, you thought that you never had me. <laughs> see, that, that was the best. That was, it was, they were on the ground. When those cars started sprouting wings and being dropped off the plane, I said, listen, you're not Marvel furious. Marvel, I can, I can believe a man could put on an iron, an iron suit or run at, at, at super speed because I, I'm, I'm acclimated to that world. Furious never brought me into that, into that world. They're, doing, they're harpooning people out of cars. I am out. Two quick points and then I'm off of it, okay? First point, Robert Jeffrey brings up a great uh, thing on his Facebook page. He brings up the point. Did you ever think you'd be in a time where the, the Fast and Furious continuity is more tighter than the DC movie or the Fox mutant movie continuities? And the second point is, listen, as a Gotcha Man fan or Battle of the Planets fan, I, I, I'm loving this because the next step for Fate and the Furious is you'll see Ludacris like creating the 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 the, the God Phoenix ship, and the, the members will all have different vehicles that will join the ship, and it'll become super powered, and they'll take on go. Mecha because go. that's the only thing left for the Fate of the Furious that's to the go. Out in space. That's right. I agree with that. <laughs> Welcome to Afrodirt Radio. We took the discussion one way, and now we're in the Fast and Furious in space. You know something? I got, <laughs> I, I, I got to mention something also. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. This guy can. I think he has. I think he has um, mind powers because I'm hearing two stories where he's bending the will of the studios for everything to be about him. Now, what am I talking about? Since, since we're talking about Furious, um, I heard that there, there may be a side film for his character from yep. the Furious. Yep. Okay. So that's one thing. Also, with the Black Adam story, uh, I want you to weigh in on this, um, uh, Daryl. The way it was supposed to work was, and I thought it was odd because... Uh, as much as I like The Rock, The Rock is not really uh, a sideline kind of dude. Early on, when we heard that he was going to be Black Adam, actually Black Adam or uh, Billy Batson, but he looks more like Black Adam. Okay, he looks like the character Black Adam. Uh, we got the impression that was, there was going to be a Shazam film and he was going to be the villain. Now, because of Mr. Johnson's vast mental powers, he can bend the will of studios. It looks like there's going to be a Black Adam film. And then Shazam comes in. So we got two situations going on. Wow. I don't know what I guess I, well, this is the man. Really? He makes so, he makes oh. so much money. Yeah. No one, but, that's, that, he's the most bankable guy right now in Hollywood that he, be, he makes it so. You thought that uh, Picard makes it so. He makes it so. But, but hold it, Q. Remember what I said on this show when this was announced? I went, yeah, this movie is not going to happen the way people are thinking. And people were asking me why. I'm like, 
You announced The Rock is going to be a part of this, but you have yet to mention who Captain Marvel is right. or who Billy Batson is. All we heard is The Rock connected to Shazam film, and it, it's going to be Black Adam. So now I've, I've heard something else totally different. I've heard also that, hey, the Shazam movie not getting off the ground Guess who's going to be the villain in Man of Steel 2? Black Adam. So, what? right whoa, whoa, now, whoa, whoa, whoa. once what? again, DC and Warner Brothers talk, 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 talk. And now we're changing the plan. How shocked am I? But Black Adam's going to be the bad guy in Man of Steel 2? That's what a report, I believe it was Deadline had that, that oh, that t- there's serious talks amongst the heads of Warner Brothers or, uh, or whoever's controlling the division, Hi Snyder again, you know, that, oh, we, we need to help the Man of Steel franchise, big shock. So, well, for Man of Steel 2, the villain will be Black Adam, who's being played by The Rock. And that's what they're going to use to lead into a Shazam film, which they still haven't given me a Captain Marvel slash Shazam or a Billy Batson. Does that mean, though? I got a question for you, Does that mean... That's how they do it. Ass backwards. (laughs) Does that mean that Black Adam Adam takes Superman since he's magical? Then you need Shazam in order to handle Black Adam? Is, Is that what it means? We 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 have seen that before. I uh, that that way. Hey, folks out there, I often said I'm a Superman fan. There is really three characters that Superman has not beaten straight out. Truly, he has to require trickery to beat. Okay, it was Captain Marvel, Shazam. It was Black Adam, and it was Mitzelplik. Why? Because he can't f with magic users. But now, now, has Superman ever fought Black Adam in the books? Yes. Yeah, he has. Yes. He has. Yeah, and okay. in the cartoon, right. which is underrated. But folks out there, look up Superman Shazam. They had a cartoon DC animated film, which was very good. I and mean, the, also, the movie. And also, uh, what was it? Justice League Unlimited, Clash. Oh, my God, that was great. So we're never going to see Brainiac on are we ever going to see Brainiac on screen? I'm guessing no. No, no, no chance in hell. <laughs> There's well, still the state, oh, the taint of <laughs> Superman three all over that. No, 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 no. Well, that was Tim. That was Tim Burton's vision, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Whoever's vision that was, that they, 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 they chickened out of just making Richard Pryor truly Brainiac. Good job, guys. That 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 caused that movie to suck. You just brought the scene back to me. <laughs> Cap, Cap is why. Wait, wait. Cap, Cap, you brought it up. DC is going to DC. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I, 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 listen, I have no words. I have, I have no words in that. But I, I just found out. I found that uh, the Rock. Well, first of all, it's finding interesting that. It doesn't appear to be important as to who Captain Marvel is going to be. Like, I guess they'll get any big dumb galoot. I'm bringing back that word. <laughs> any big dumb galoot to be in that in that red suit. 
Hey, I mean, John, I've, seen, I've seen this fight before in WrestleMania. You can get John Cena to be Captain Marvel. Natural. <laughs> there it goes. And you would have wrestling fans so pissed. Like, oh, my God, they put Cena as Captain Marvel since they have all, oh, this is going to suck. But like I said before, you'll say it sucks and still go out and spend that money watching The Rock and boop, $800 million. Well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Dye his hair black, right? And have some Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, have, right? No. I'm talking about he was right. It's Cena. He was on the right. You got to be a big dude. Uh, yeah, that that would be like visually, those two would probably be able to get at it and have some precocious thirteen-year-old or twelve-year-old to be Billy Batson. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, DC go to DC anyway. Shazam! Hey, Warner Brothers, for how much you say that that you hate us? doing this and and you hate the fans we have just in 10 minutes done more planning about a Shazam Black Adam film than you've ever done (laughs) Afrodite Radio film company you can come hire us now to be your think tank that was good though. Unless you want Jim Neighbors to come in there for a, a guest here. Shazam! I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I'm reaching. I'm Q is sitting at his computer shocked like, I didn't really think about that, but hey. <laughs> and Claire's uh, speechless in the back. Claire's like, where has this show gone? Off the rails. Uh, Let's move things along um, quickly. This injustice, too. We don't really talk enough about video gaming. But it seems like even the captain put out a quick tweet. And I have to admit, I'm, I am obsessed. I haven't fit Injustice 1. And it's okay. It's okay. But this Injustice 2, again, proves my point. DC can only do animation. Because this is the type <laughs> of animation. Obviously. Uh, what put the internet on fire was the Flash moves for Injustice 2 that were incredible. And I had to say to myself, they did, they did everything you would expect, but again, I said, oh, it's because it's animation. <laughs> DC has an animation glitch or something. They can only do, do things right by their characters in animation. But I didn't honestly, I did not see any of the other... Uh, moves of the other characters, but I'm obsessed with the Flash. Everyone's talking about the Flash is the ish on Injustice 2, and it's also, I guess, a, a companion comic book. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. They did it the last time. I never bought the comic book, but... Uh, Darryl, Tom Taylor writes it. It, well, it. The comic book is, is quality. Good? Yes, the comic book is quality. If if you liked Irredeemable, is it Irredeemable? Irredeemable. What what Wade wrote about that 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 world Superman going down and stuff like that, Tom Taylor, yo, he does it with the DC characters very very well. I will give him that. I got a couple of the collectors. It's very good. The only thing, and I can't say they didn't do it. They did everything the Flash does as far as his power. If they have something that showed that character actually like phasing through the other character, I would have said, okay, I'm done. 
That I would have wanted to see. Wanted, I mean, that 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 should be there. They have everything. They made they, they show you the the speed force. Hell, that's better than dare I say it's better than the CW Flash. That what they yep. showed, and that, it is. It is. So Daryl, I mean, I, I'm definitely going to buy this thing without well, question. Well, there's there's three things I saw online that that got me interested. Okay, the the as you brought up the Flash thing. Did you check out the origin of Supergirl? No, this is like the storyline attached to it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a a, a minute thirty to set up her character in it. In right. in ninety minutes, uh, ninety minutes, ninety seconds, they do her coming to Earth. They do the whole story like it's it's the opening synopsis of the TV show. But right. she's in the costume. She's right there by Superman. She witnesses Superman's fall from grace. She witnesses the the darkness taking over. She's torn on what side she should be on. That was well done. And the other thing I saw with Injustice was. I think it was not Lex Luthor, but another villain. They did a synopsis of how he is seeing the heroes doing what they. they I was like, "Yo, these these are the type of setups I wanted for the last Mortal Kombat game, and those fell short." You know, if you're going to sell yourself. As a video game with downloadable content to get people to keep on coming in and buy, you need this now. You need this. Your characters are fully realized. You you see their good and their bad points, but it hooks you into the story. And that's one thing they did with the Flash and Supergirl uh, specifically on the on these ads. I've seen them on Twitter and I've seen them on um on on just just like comics books resources as commercials and I'm like oh not another pop up ad and I I I go to click and then I'm like hold on hold on I mean Flash taking that dude by the face and running him across the world <laughs> boom like whoa you know how long I've wanted to do that to somebody in the game. <laughs> you know, so I can understand why D Bert's excited. Back to you, listen, after nerd. Listen, you're, be, you're being modest, and we'll move along. But I just got to mention this one thing: uh, the part where not only does he take the take um, Grodd, he carries Grodd to the face of the Sphinx. Then he takes him back to to prehistoric to to to, to the prehistoric period with dinosaurs, and then he he. he he put he, he um, pushes him into a younger version of Zod. So you see two Zods, I mean Grods, two Grods and two Flashes. I mean they, they covered everything in this in this video game better than we know this upcoming film, and dare I say better than the CW Flash. I'm just saying, animation they know what to do. When it's live action and breathing individuals, they don't know what to do. Enough said. Uh. All right, uh, listen, let's take a quick break, about a minute and a half. I want to make this very quick because there's, there's other things we got to talk about. Um, you know, i got to blame the fan bros on this one. Shout out to them. i got to blame them because Uh-oh. something that they do – well, let's say this playfully. Uh, when they interview a guest, they always ask the guest, which, which, what do you prefer, you know, Black Panther or uh, War Machine, Zamunda or Wakanda? Well, guess what? They said Zamunda so many times, I think we're going to see Zamunda Part 2. Zamunda, I should say, is the fictional African country 
that was in coming to America. It looks oh, like there's God. going to be. <laughs> it looks. Like it looks like there's going to be a coming to America too. I kid you not. So uh, we may want to talk about that. Also, uh, if there's time, uh, you know, I failed to mention the passing of Charlie Murphy. We did go into it on Wednesday's show. We may say a few words on that. I mean, that was just a uh, man. We just keep it. We keep on getting these hits, man. And uh, the inimitable Captain Kirk has says you thought 2016 was something. And I did. I, I did not want to believe him. I thought he's just blustering. Uh, no. Captain appears not to be blustering because we're getting we're getting hit early with some of these iconic people. So wow, quick two minutes and then we're gonna get back into the fray. This is I hope she sticks around because I love her, Michelle Ndegi Ocello. We saw her at Afropunk a few years ago. God, fear, money. Two minutes, folks. We'll be right back. Hold on. Folks, I promised you two minutes on that one. I would definitely label her a disciple of his royal badness, certainly. Uh, she even said one time while on the uh, Arsenio Hall show years ago that she, her fantasy would have been to play Prince, and she's a bad bassist. She's a bad lady. She is Michelle Ndege Ocello. God fear money. Um, the equally inimitable John Hutton, uh, always throwing out these names, Clifton James has left the building. Um, you may not know him, but I remember him squarely. Uh, live and let die. I'm sure that Daryl remembers this dude, Sergeant, Sergeant, pardon me, Sheriff J.W. Pepper. He was kind of used for comedic effect during the, the Bond films 
where Bond disclosed to him that he that he's uh, you know, he works for uh, MI6, and he proceeds to kind of in goofy manner, you know, to, to help James Bond. But he's that Southern sheriff that you saw him on vacation. Um, Ninety six years old, man. He had a good run, but I remember that guy, man. He, the way he he spoke, Sheriff J W Pepper. Wow, from the Roger Moore films. Um, they're leaving us, folks. Thank you, John, for that one. Uh, damn. Well, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> People are just they're just leaving us, unfortunately. Um, I'm bringing the mics in. Uh, sorry, Claire. I've got to bring you in as well. All right, there's a lot to get into. Um, okay. Zamunda, now going back into the argument about repeating things over and over again, I can tell you what's going to happen. Now we got to deal with, we have to deal with the kids from the union from back in 1988. They had children. Isn't that safe to say? They're going to go there? That the, ch- the children have to, they have to find a bride or, or a husband or however, wherever the child is? Is that probably what this is going to be? Coming to America too, Millennial Rising. Afternoon will be Well, I gotta, I gotta also mention something. Two things. Uh, one of my early jobs uh, out of college was at the restaurant. Well, not at the restaurant, but I worked across the street from the restaurant that was used as McDowell's. It, it, but it, it was a Wendy's, and when you would go to this Wendy's, you would see pictures of all the cast that were in Coming to America. That film, if you ever go back to Coming to America, you can clearly see Queens Boulevard. And I'm, I'm also, I haven't been on Queens Boulevard for years, but I'm hearing that, they, that even now, uh, you know, gentrific, I don't want to call it gentrification. I don't know if that's classified gentrification. But they knocked down that building. They put some kind of uh, complex over there now. So they knocked down history. But I always remember going to lunch and always looking at, Eddie Murphy's face, and, and around the corner from my parents' residence, uh, the actress that played um, his wife, the, uh, what's her name, Sherry Headley, uh, I delivered newspapers to her as a kid. So I, Tourists I have a still connection. take pictures Tourists on that block, by the way. Say it again, again. Tourists still come to take pictures on that block, by the way. Yeah, but McGowan Even though it's no not there. there. I mean, at least Wendy's, I mean, you could look, physically look inside that restaurant, and it, you, you could clearly see, wow, this was where it was filmed. But you saw, uh, what was the, 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 the heavyset uh, comedian? Um, uh, I believe Amos, he's still alive. Amos, um, no, 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 not him. I mean, the comedian. Um, uh, I'll look it up in a minute. His, his picture was on the wall as well. Um, Claire, what are, your, what are your thoughts about this? I mean, I, listen, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to see – <laughs> I'm going to see coming to America too, but it's, it's it's wow. We're talking about almost 30 years now. That film. That is. I barely remember years. coming to America one. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. Uh, I I I don't even know how to give you my two cents on this. Honestly. Um. So. So you said Zamunda. Zamunda. A, fic- a fictional African, African country. country. Yep. From which Eddie Murphy's character. Yeah, Comes okay. from. Okay. Well, I mean, 
I guess that's uh, that's an idea, you know. I mean, hell, we're 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 churning out sequels left and right, you know, from properties that are ten, twenty, thirty plus years, you know, old. So why not? I guess. I mean. I don't know. I just don't know what to tell you about this. I mean, what, the the movie itself it was was meant to be farcical, and that style of humor, I just don't necessarily see translating in today's current, um, you know, sociological climate. So I just I I I don't know. I mean, there's a reason why classics are untouchable. Because they they resonated with us during a moment in time, a moment which no longer exists. You know, it's not it's not the world that we live in right now. So I just I don't know I don't know because I just I can't imagine something like that working right now. Um, not to say that it won't happen. I mean, hell, we've seen plenty of garbage. We've seen plenty of BS. We've seen plenty of Silly, like just stupid, like stupid stuff, you know, getting produced, getting made, getting distributed. Um, so I don't know. Like what you're telling me, it sounds like an SNL skit, you know, Coming to America, the sequel. That just sounds absurd and ridiculous. That sounds like some sort of, you know, remember, like straight to DVD. <laughs> You know, like I, I can't, I don't even know what to say. Like what? I, I gotta say, I gotta say quickly though. Uh, first of all, Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson was a heavy, heavy, heavy set actor, comedian that was in there. He was working behind the counter, and his picture. I remember seeing his picture with all the other cast members of that film. Um, I have to agree with you, but I think nostalgia, you know, is going to dictate some of this. Eddie Murphy desperately needs a hit. Um, a, a lot of the cast. They're still alive, so that you know. I mean, James Earl Jones is still alive. Uh, unfortunately, um, Madge Sinclair, I believe, she passed on. But uh, hell, uh, Jan- uh, John Amos is around, so uh, Eric LaSalle is around. So it would be interesting. They need to get some real writers in that thing. But like Claire said, we we find Vine videos humorous. How do you compete with Vine video attention spans for a, a full length comedic film? I don't know. I don't. I, could we I get got, Harlem we get, Nights two instead? No. Oh. I well, got, I got three. Go ahead. I got three reasons they should not do this. Another forty-eight hours. Beverly Hills Cop two. Nutty Professor two. Wait, wait, Beverly, wait, wait! Don't you mean Beverly Hills Cop three? Beverly yeah. Hills it's Cop about, two was good, actually. Yeah. The well, soundtrack was the, the soundtrack was great. I don't know about the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was good. Let's talk about Beverly, they're trying to make Beverly Hills Cop the TV series. So I think they're still going to go back into Beverly Hills Cop. And I'm glad you brought that up. They made uh, they made a Coming to America TV show with um, the guy from In Living Color. I can't think of his name. It was horrible. Why do you want to revisit that? Oh God, my mind That's just went to that. Does. Oh, it ain't give me anything new. <laughs> Pursuant to our last discourse, Q, which you didn't seem to agree with, this is further evidence that Hollywood is all about recycling, <laughs> and not in the good way. They 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 recycle the bad way, without the blue the blue garbage can. 
Uh, <laughs> all right, let's move I just things on. I want to make on. a quick got... note. Just want to mention sure. real quick because I'm not sure, sure if you guys are going to get to it today. But I will have. I'm just going to say that the Thor Ragnarok trailer kicked ass. I was super excited. It made me laugh. Best it trailer kinda, this week. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to tell you right now that that teaser actually, to me, made me more excited for that than Guardians of the Galaxy. Because Whoa. Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, I'm, I'm for real. I'm for real. Here's the thing. My initial reaction to Guardians 1, when those trailers first, first came out, was a little bit like, um, okay, I, well, all right, sure, why not? Talking raccoon. Great, thanks, Marvel. But, but, but I know, I know now, after having seen the movie and falling in love with the movie, that what makes the movie so special is very difficult to try to include in a trailer. Because a trailer is meant to just get those butts in the seats, get people buying tickets. It's supposed to be flashy. It's supposed to be, you know, out there, funny, whatever grabs your attention, whatever works. But the movie actually has a lot of heart, and that's why it's so affecting and really, it, it, you know, it, it makes a lasting impression beyond the splash of being a really cool space opera. So I can, I can easily admit that I have the same hesitancy and reticence in seeing these, these trailers for Guardians 2 knowing full well that probably the same thing will come, that James Gunn will do it again, and by the time I see the movie, I'll love it, blah, 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 okay? The Spider-Man, first trailer, great. Second trailer, why did you have to give away the whole damn movie? Why? Thanks a lot, Sony. Appreciate it. But this, this, and I was like watching Kevin Smith's reaction video, and he, in so many words, because he, that man, that guy's crazy, so over the top, but... But in so many words, I really felt like in terms of cutting a trailer together, which in and of itself is an art form, it is the ultimate, you know, calling card, selling point. And, yeah, some of it's going to end up not even in the movie, hint, hint, Rogue One. Some of it's going to only show the highlight reel, the best parts, and then the movie itself might be crap. And then you're going to have situations where, like I said, it will just kind of just surprise you, you know. It will just, you might be, you might not even be kind of not that thrilled about it or maybe I'm a little underwhelmed, but I'm, I'm willing to let it change my mind by the time I see it. But this trailer, this trailer, I'm going to tell you right now, it has me so excited. And once they got that, you know, Led Zeppelin song going, I was, I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. Yes. Yes, Kate Blanchett. Yes, Tessa Thompson. I'm in. Take all my money. I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. Oh, my uh, goodness. Like, we know each other. He's a friend from work. Oh, my God. I was like, yes. Okay. I'm in. I'm in. So I just want to say that. I'm glad you brought that up um, to our listening audience. We've got, we got about two minutes remaining, but I think I'm going to extend it a bit. We'll extend it for up to ten minutes because we've got to talk about uh, a, little bit of Justice, a little bit about Justice League Mortal, whatever happened to that film, George Miller. Um, and also, I want to talk about that racism X-Men issue. We've got to talk about that. 
But I'm glad, Claire, thank you, Claire, for, for reminding us about Thor, uh, the Thor Ragnarok film. Um, I just hope they don't give us a lot and can continue. That's the thing about the Guardians. I love the Guardians. I get the humor. But some of the jokes uh, that I would, want, I would have wanted to hear in the theater, they run them into the ground in the trailer. I mean, why, why would they do that? You already have people that are committed. I think, I think that's tracking extremely, extremely well. It's unnecessary to keep on just loading us up with more information. And one other thing, and maybe Daryl can clarify this as well. Um, actually, before the broadcast, I was looking at some of the cartoons. The cartoons are so similar in tone and music to the movie that I think they're letting letting some plot points come through. They, there was a, a, a quick thing about finding a Nova helmet and th- that, was an, that empowered Gamora. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. We never really saw the Nova Corps the way we really know them to be in comic books. Uh, there's a Green Lantern Corps coming up. Marvel's going to need something to counter that. This might be the setup, but do I need to see this in the cartoon? Dow, are they letting things plot points? Uh, clearly, there's some things going on uh, in the cartoon that I wouldn't, I would suspect, are, are going to show up in the film in some way. See, the problem with Marvel, and this is where DC has them one up on this, is DC. If you notice, when it comes to their cartoon series, when it, it's running concurrent with what's in the theaters or what's on TV, they're like, okay. We're going to edge away from this, edge away from this. And usually it's when the live action ends, where the cartoon gets into it. Marvel, Marvel, Disney doesn't exactly have that type of communication, okay? Hell, hell, I will just say it like this, okay? You want to know when the Thor trailer grabbed me? Right when Hela does what she does to Majornir. Melnir. Monier, excuse me. Yeah. When that happens, folks, this is not going to be a comedic film anymore. I'm doing my Millhouse impersonation. We're at the tipping point. This is not going to be. There will be jokes, but uh, things just got serious. They, oh, excuse me. I got to say it black, right? Let me say black. Things just got real, yo. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, I think so. That- so. The thing is, you, we, someone, someone from these studios or someone, uh, the movie makers have got to get to the guys that are editing these, these teaser trailers and stuff where, guys, give them a taste. Don't give them the whole plot. And unfortunately, as comic book fans, as fantasy fans, we can read a lot. From the trailers you give us, and we know when. Oh my God, they're giving away the whole movie. Back to you, Afrina. Yeah, you know, Mantis makes an appearance in the cartoon, and it just so coincides that she's also a, a live-action version of her. And there's a uh, group of, I guess, uh, uh, villains called the Believers. I wouldn't doubt that you might have some iteration of the Believers in the in the live-action film. I don't well, know. That's the Church uh, of Universal Truth. They just can't use the words church. Um, I'm just curious about this whole Nova connection. We, we will see. The fact that they have a Glenn Close lookalike, <laughs> they have a Glenn Close lookalike in the cartoon, and even kind of someone that looks sort of, kind of, sort of like 
John C. Riley. So if you have all that going on in the cartoon, and they even had a, 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 an excuse for why that helmet, like what, what do they call that? It was called the, uh, as far as the military distinction, because we didn't really see what we know to be Novas, like how Novas really conduct themselves. But they said that helmet was like, what was it, Daryl? Well, that is the, the, something from the book. That's the Centurion. Yes, yeah, right. So that that makes sense because the, the, what we saw in the in the film, they didn't really, you know, they didn't they weren't they didn't have powers. But that helmet, the way that it played out in the storyline in the cartoon, leads me, leads me to believe they're going to introduce. And James Gunn said that he wouldn't do that. But am I to assume that they're going to actually have yet another IP through the Nova Corps in Guardians? I mean, why not? Don't know, but but remember, remember in in Ultimate Spider-Man and in the the Avengers Assemble, we see Sam Alexander with the Nova helmet, and it's part of the same universe. Even though they've tried to go, well, it's a different da da da, da but they refer to stuff on the guest stars of the Guardians cartoon that has happened in the other two series. So they they can they again. No one's coordinating that Marvel animation. It's one of the things that I find freaking annoying over there. No one's talking. But let's move on. Go ahead, Afrener. All right, quickly. Before we begin to this Justice League Mortal thing, uh, I think we, sh- we would be um, remiss in not mentioning this controversy that's been going on for a couple of weeks. I picked up the comic book, um, your friend, our friend, Jeff, at uh, – what's the name of his comic, comic book store? Time Warp. Time Warp, thank you. Time Warp in uh, Woodmere, Long Island. Um, he, uh, he, he told me, listen, you've got to get this book because it's going to end up being a collector's item. And I think that, uh, eBay's already asking some, some ducats for it. The artist, Ardian Saif, Indonesian artist, a uh, talented guy, but it appears he has an agenda. And I, I'm a little nervous with this I mean, because I'm just reading the comic and not really paying attention to the imagery per se. But for those, I guess, who are in the know, especially those who are either of the Islamic faith or of the Jewish faith, he put like little little um, logos or little little um, inferences, mm-hmm. references, uh, QS, like you know, um, Bible quotes or even quotes from the Quran that were very uh, disrespectful. To the to the Jewish faith potentially, uh, and now it's being perceived as really a racist comic book. So what's happening is, you know, if you have this, if you have the comics with these references, okay, you, you got a collector's item. But any com- comic books being printed hereafter are going to have that part blur- blurred out. You're not going to you're not going to see um, any of this any of these references that. Are clearly drawn in this comic book. It's it's X Men. Matter of fact, it's the first issue. X Men Gold, number one. But are are they all the way to Gold X Men three? I think X Men Gold three. I think well, one a is the only one books. released. One is the only one released. Two and three are or two is being prepped, and three is already handed in. So he's going to have three issues released. This gold one, it's the one that's not edited or it's going to be edited. See, this, this is the dangerous thing. And I remember getting um, 
if you remember way back during the new X-Men run with Grant Morrison and Ethan Van Skyver, who studs the, 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 the Green Lantern books with Johns, right? And he put the word sex in different things and different pages of that book. I know Afrinerd remembers this. He put the word sex in different iterations all over that book. And people were like, ha, this is funny, ha, ha. And I'm like, this is a dangerous precedent, all right? And folks are like, oh, Dell, you're being a buzzkill. I'm like, watch. One day it's going to happen, and it's not going to be sex. It's not going to be juvenile. It's going to be something more serious, and people are going to lose their over it. This is that day. I like Saif as an artist. All right. I I followed his work through like Supergirl. He did a couple of books of um of uh, of of Jay Faber's um um Noble Causes. He did a few books on there. He's done a, some Titans work. That beautiful books. The problem is now, now that I see he did this in Marvel, now I'm going to have to go back and look at those issues and take a look is there anything in the background? Was it happening all the way back then? And that sours me to it. Listen, I'm all for you having your views and stuff, all right? But if the book isn't about those views, shh, calm down, hush, don't do th- Because what, what it says to me is you, you're a talented artist, but you couldn't restrain your emotions from giving a middle finger to these classes that you did in this book by putting those symbols up. All right? I, 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 have, I have a hatred towards intolerant people of, of white persuasion or intolerant people of black persuasion, but you have never, ever in public heard me attack the whole race ever this is essentially what this dude did in these books alright and then after Marvel terminates the contract just go ahead and look up his words this type of hatred should not be allowed anywhere near children Anywhere near near decent people, and and he seemed like a cool guy the whole time. I met him at a convention. It, he was a cool guy, but you didn't know that this ugly streak was underneath. And if his career wasn't torpedoed by the action, his reaction certainly torpedoed it. And to to Jewish people and. And Arabic people that got offended at this, all I can say is I'm sorry. And this is the ugly side of the business that no one, no one should be thing. And and you figured as a person of color, he would understand what what having him on a book meant to people of Indonesian faith and stuff in this country. And I have a couple of friends that were outraged as well. Matter of fact, before the news story broke, they pointed it out to me. And I was like, I, I didn't think that was a curse. I just saw a T-shirt. Oh, my God. They actually let that slip by in the book? And that's why there's got to be people of color in the room. Back to you, Afrinerd.
Let me give a little bit more uh, specificity to our audience because, uh, again, we're talking about X-Men Gold number one. And it is, it is disheartening because we do – listen, we all, are, we all are about diversity, having everybody having a voice. Hell, even if your opinion is not really popular, there's a way of going about it, though. I think he did it in a very uh, subversive way, again, hiding it on street signs. Uh, these these inferences, these references on T-shirts, and when he, as as the mighty Daryl B has just exclaimed, he this guy gets dismissed from Marvel, Mr. Saif, and he says this is what he says re- reportedly: Marvel is owned by Disney. When Jews are offended, there is no mercy. That's what he that's what he put. You know, hey dude, I mean you you put on a Disney character. You guys, that's what that's what Colossus is now. You know, it gets a little deeper. He's a Disney character. He's a corporate character, and he puts on 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 his uh, on his T-shirt. You see him in the middle of battle. Uh, a reference to the Koran. I'm trying to find exactly what he said. It was um, yeah. It, it says QS five fifty one, which is essentially. This, the, of the Quran, Surah, chapter five, verse fifty-one. It basically says, "Take not the Jews and the Christians as leaders ad, and advisors." I mean, you know, you put in a secret, you're putting in a little secret jab on on this on the character's T-shirt, and then you, we know that Kitty Pride is of Jewish Jewish faith in the comic book. She's the leader of the X-Men Gold. And in the background, you see uh, on a uh, on a building it says jewelry, just the ter- you know like jewelry, like a jewelry store, but it says jewelry, and then it says two one two. Now I don't know what the numbers two one two mean, but I think two one two has probably has some kind of weird derogatory, subversive, uh, anti-Semitic meaning. So he was putting all these little little sneaky jabs. I mean, come on, man, you got the gig. It is disturbing. Very the downside of the call out. We want again, and 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 what he doesn't understand is what you just did. Now Marvel will be more hesitant to hire somebody from your region again. Yeah. You know, oh, what if he does the same thing Saif did? Well, what if she does the same thing Saif did? They could be talented as all hell, but now, because of corporate, they're going to be like, yo, we can't have them work here. That little Although childish move just blocked off an avenue of talent. Thank you, man. That that was beautiful. But just but to be fair, I mean, but we know how this works. Just because one Islamic person, listen, they do have moderate Islamic people. They have all different types of uh, variants within the Islamic faith, you know, Sunni Muslims, Sufi Muslims. I mean, you know, they, 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 you know, but but I know how it goes. One brown face of the Islamic faith is enough for these people. They don't want you there to begin with. They don't want you there anyway. Anyway, uh, very disheartening. Going around the going around the, the room for a minute. Uh, any thoughts on this? Do you think it's a, Claire, uh, John? Do you think it's kind of kind of crazy that this? This guy would put all these kind of secret messages in a comic book. Although well, I, I must admit, I'm glad that I, I got it because it's going to be worth money. But still, but still, as a collector, um, I'm going over some of the messages that he, he uh, sprinkled throughout here. Uh, two one two that you were talking about. 
Right. It's actually uh, what they're saying is it's a protest message about a, a Christian governor in uh, in Indonesia. So he's really sticking it to that guy there. Um, yeah, the on. jewelry thing. Well, the way that, yeah, the way they spell out jewelry, it's actually jewelry. You know, as in right. Yeah. You know, they're really in one. Yeah, this is disgusting work, man. <clears throat> um, you know, I sent a message to Daryl on Twitter about it. You know. The reason why I have such a thing about Frank Miller, because he's the guy who wrote Holy Terror. And I see a lot of the same attitude in this work. This is a career killer. There was no reason to do this. And really, it's unforgivable work as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, I I just mentioned back to John. It's the same thing with Howard Shaken. At times, same, same thing. You you know with with uh, I forgot forgot his name. He used to work at DC, uh, but oh, I know the anti gay dude. Yeah, anti gay dude. Yeah, it, it's just it's you have your personal politics and your personal beliefs, but it isn't your book. <laughs> I can understand if it's your indie book. And you're doing it over there. That's fine. You're like it or not. You're part of a, co- a corporate public uh, structure now, all right. And the, their structure reaches out to different, more of a varied uh, base than you do individually. You owe. You signed the contract. They didn't force you on there. Like, yeah, you're going to draw for us. Or we'll whip you or something. They did not do that. You signed the contract. You knew what you were getting into. To do something like this, as I said before, you not only close the door off on yourself, you not only offended fans of that franchise, but you possibly wrecked the chances of the next artist in your region to follow in your footsteps. Good job, man. You know who you're thinking about, Daryl? You're thinking about Orson Scott Card. Ah, there we go. Thank you, sir. Yeah, he was with the Adventures of Superman comic book series. And then, uh, what's his name, Chris Sprouse, left the project because of his views. Uh, he's an, adi- an adamant anti-gay dude. And uh, I think you know a lot of people heard about it, and they were trying to get rid of this dude. I think Ender's Game was a movie that he mm-hmm. was also involved in, so he was getting gigs. See, you know, listen, these folks, they end up kind of poo-pooing their career because they, they, they're like, they, they can't function without kind of spewing out their hatred. I mean, you could have a difference of opinion, but you can't get into like this hateful kind of bent where you, you clearly see that, you know, dude, come on, it's not that serious, but serious to these people, obviously. Claire, any thoughts on, on how this gentleman kind of stuck in his views very secret, secretively in a comic book, no less? Um, I mean, I'm not, I, I just don't know how I feel about it. I mean... It seems to me that as talented as he may be, there's something tragic about the fact that, you know, he's he's using his 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 skill, his talent, his his art as a as a weapon to spew, you know, hatred. You know. He's basically like, you know, it's like in so many words, in that superfluous comic book, you know, sentimentality, he's using his powers for evil. And there's something that is very sad about that, you know, very disappointing, very just 
unnerving um, because it's not about the work anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's obvious you don't care that you were fired. It's obvious you don't care. You know, you're because you're you're willfully again, you know, dismantling everything that you've ever worked for. You know, do you know how many people would kill yeah. to be where you are? To work for a company like that in which the distribution is so high, people all over the world will see your art. That is something that not everybody gets to share on that level. And this is how you choose to go about it. This is how you choose to, to you know, to u- utilize that, that talent. Because I, I can't draw worth a damn. Let me tell you, my my stick figures look pitiful. So I'm always in awe of people that are able to to just you know create these amazing visuals and and these and and even just sketches. I've just been completely blown away by you know some folks that I know that they go to WonderCon and they can you know they can shell out like a couple hundred sketches and it's just because they're so spot on. I mean, it's just, this is a, a very rarefied skill, you know, and I just, I'm so disappointed in hearing the story. I mean, I, I did read about it. Um, and to my dismay, it just, it's only gotten worse, you know, with every other detail that's been revealed about, you know, the, the passages that he snuck in there and, and the clear hatred that he has, Towards you know the the Jewish community or the Christian faith or whatever, I am not a religious person. Okay, I don't necessarily subscribe to any you know particular sect or denomination or whatever. But that's me. I I don't see the reason in which to go out of your way to denigrate others like that and to do it in such a subversive manner. Like this was insidious. This was insidious. He was willing to just to work his way up the ranks in, 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 in reaching this level, this platform, you know, for Marvel, which is huge, just to be able to, to get, get these little, you know, Jabs hateful in. messages in there. Because you know, here we're thinking, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you destroy your career? Why would you torpedo you know, any chance that you or any other Indonesian artist may have, why would you do that? I mean, what was it all for, to work towards? And I feel like, man, you know, hatred is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, two quick hatred things. is a really powerful thing. It, it, it makes people do, oh, I mean, just about anything, just about anything to achieve a, a supposed greater goal. Hatred can elect presidents. Yeah, you we know, saw that. Well, yeah, don't thing. remind us. <laughs> yes. You know? Two, two, quick, two quick things and we'll close. Stop. I, I want to mention this quickly. From the Bleeding Cool website, what you just said, Daryl, you're you know, very prescient, man. Uh, they were questioning him about the whole other Indonesian creators. He was dismissive because he doesn't give an F. He says, it says here, he also, he also dismissed worries that other Indonesian creators had regarding their own work from Marvel, saying that if they don't make mistakes like he did, they won't be fired. So he, he knows this already. This, is, this goes to tell, show you that this is a guy, maybe a foreign dude, 
he doesn't know how people get down in the states. Uh, they're not good at making distinctions here. You know, they're going to say one Indonesian person, one black person, one Asian person. When you screw up, you represent everybody. They don't make distinctions. Like, they're not discerning like that here. So that what you just said, Daryl, you're right on point. He doesn't give it up. He might have screwed up other people of, of uh, Indonesian descent, descent or Muslim writers care. because of this ish. He don't care Sports because he was on a mission. Yeah, he true. was on a mission. He don't care about any other artists or other Indonesians. He doesn't care about his career. That's how dangerous that is. It is that powerful. People willing to sacrifice everything. And for what? Fear leads to hate. Hate leads to anger. And anger, all roads lead to the dark side. Sorry, Q, I had to throw that in. Quickly. <laughs> uh, we know that... Um, I mean, let me say a couple something quickly. I, I mentioned this on Wednesday. I, I got to get this out. Charlie Murphy has left the building. Um, 57 years of age. No one knew that he was sick. I will confess that after looking at him on uh, Black Jesus, I thought he looked a little gaunt. Uh, early on, he's kind of a beefier-looking guy. Matter of fact, up until even when he was in uh, his Hollywood stories on The Chappelle Show, he's kind of a beefier guy. And then all of a sudden, he was very gaunt. Yeah, the end of season on. two of Black Jesus, he looked desiccated a little. Yeah, man. So uh, he had leukemia, and even then, it looked as if he was going to make it. He looked, uh, it looked as if he was going to kind of, he was going to chemotherapy and so forth. Um, but he caught, he caught um, pneumonia, and pneumonia can take you out in the modern era. So it's very. Um, very painful once again, and, I, and I, I will say this. I thought that he was actually funnier of the two siblings in later years. Uh, of course, you know that uh, Eddie Murphy was a superstar during the 80s, but then he had a, a, just a litany of bad films. And in, that, and, and in the wake of Eddie kind of going downward, uh, as far as real comedy and doing stand-up, because we know that Eddie has given up stand-up. Let's talk about him going back into the game. Maybe the, the, the death of his brother might bring him back, but I think Eddie has had too good of a life, to be honest with you. You know, it takes some degree of pathos to be able to do comedy on some level. I mean, you know, you, you're, you have all these kids, you, you know, you're kind of making money off of bombs. You know, you, you haven't had it rough since you left uh, Brooklyn and Roosevelt and Freeport in Long Island. I'm speaking more locally. So uh, his brother was kind of still in the grit, and he had a different he, – he, he was not under his brother's coattails. He was a different personality. He had a different speaking voice. He was a little bit more thuggish. He was more of a thuggish comedian, and it worked, you know, very deadpan delivery. So um, I was very happy that in a way – because when you see siblings, sometimes you clearly see, okay, my brothers or sister, they're popular. I'm kind of riding in. Uh, Charlie Murphy didn't really come off that way. Uh, he came into the game his own way, and he had a distinct personality. You know, there's Jerry Van Dyke, there's Dick Van Dyke. Uh, we know Shirley MacLaine and uh, they're not comp comedians. Shirley MacLaine and uh, uh, what's his face? Ah, uh, well, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Daryl, help me. Jerry Lewis? Uh, no, 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 no. Shirley MacLaine, uh, brother. Warren Beatty, oh. thank you, came in. The ginseng kicked in. Yeah, Warren Beatty and Shirley MacLaine are brother and sister. So you see siblings that do well, but they, but 
in that case, they look they're totally different. You couldn't confuse Shirley MacLaine with Warren Beatty, although they're wacky in their own different ways. Uh, just very bad, man. Very sad. It came out the blue that this this man died. So, uh, in in honor think? of Charlie Murphy, I will say it like this. Okay, when was the last time you saw a series so beloved like Chappelle's Show? All right, yeah. on brief, but everybody talks about stuff, and the 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 number one skit, and possibly two of the top five skits. He wasn't the main star of Charlie Murphy's skits about Prince and about and about Rick, Rick James. Yeah. Hell, he took over Chappelle's show for the Rick James skit. It, it, it was just brilliant. And if you never saw his stand-up special, I know there's some haters on it, but that was Charlie Murphy being Charlie Murphy. Right? And I think tomorrow Comedy Central in honor is going to replay it. Go like just check it out. Charlie, I I, I, I didn't I, I I met him once. Once. And all I could say is you're funny, man. You know something that's all go, I could get out. Can I am I am I on mic? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah just, go ahead, Q. Just one, one quick one quick thing I gotta mention this. Just coincidentally it goes to show you how, how people affect you. I had a brief blog, and I think I might still have the domain, the domain name saved, but it was called habituallinestepper.com. So <laughs> I just got to throw it out there. You, 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 know, you never know how people affect you, but the term habitual line stepper is just genius. Q? Yeah, I just want to say two years ago, um, I was contracted by BET <clears throat> to shoot for uh, some TV show that uh, was the rapper's name. Remember, I, I was wanted to hook you up with her. Ah, I can't think of her well, name. MC Light. Uh, MC Light. MC Light. And uh, he was one of the guests on the show. We shot it up in Harlem. And, uh, dude, the guy, we, we almost got fired that day because we were laughing in between takes with this guy. And we got we got to meet him personally. He shook all our hands. He was the nicest guy. And I just want to say this to, to Daryl's point. I know it was called The Chappelle Show. I love comedy. I love comedy. I love stand-up comedy. I can say one of the top three things that I almost collapsed the lung watching were the Charlie Murphy stories where it's just him up against the green screen. I guess they're going to keep yeah. something in behind him at some point. Yeah. Those things nearly put me in the hospital. <laughs> some of the funniest. I mean, I love Ricky Gervais. I love Louis C.K. I love Kevin Hart. All those guys are funny. This was probably one of the top three funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Those, those stories that he told, just him talking, and it was just amazing. His face when he said, on the narrator goes, "Well, after he beat you, don't worry, he did. He served us pancakes." The face he makes after just giving pancakes. If you go back, watch the the Prince skit again. That got the loudest laugh out of the crowd. Just that face, like he served us pancakes. <laughs> he didn't have to say anything else. God but, uh, bless uh, you, Charlie uh, Murphy. Rest uh, in power. You will be missed, man. I just gotta say, if, if you watch the chip. He does. A, he does a story about. He talks about taking his brother Eddie Murphy. He was working as a security guard for Eddie, and they go to some restaurant, and there's an ex-athlete, an NFL athlete in a wheelchair. 
who's popping off at the mouth at their next table are oh, talking about that. Eddie. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I, I almost I almost busted a kidney or whatever. I, I Just hilarious. He basically, he basically said that, I know you're the wheelchair man, but I'll still F you up. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> it was he crazy. said, I'm going to roll you out of here if you don't shut the F up. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Uh, also, his, the real world skit, his version of the real world. Oh, that. that was off the chain too. I mean, this guy. I gotta say quickly. You know, I do take some things personal when people are local heroes. Um, Roosevelt Island, in effect. I mean, these you talk about Public Enemy, Howard Stern, the the Murphys. All these guys are from Long Island, and we heard stories when Eddie Murphy was on the come up on SNL. Again, this guy was a, a visible figure. In the 80s, where he was going to, um, you know, when hip-hop was kind of in a different positioning and hip-hop was fresh, uh, they used to have parties at Hofstra University, and Eddie Murphy would be at these parties. Um, He was dating a girl by the name of Lisa Figueroa, very attractive, at Adelphi University. Um, when When he was on SNL, let me tell you how interconnected this world is. When he was in SNL, uh, I think he was making maybe ten grand a week, which was like big money for someone in 1982 or 81. He moved out of Roosevelt, got his own house, an empty house, and I mean, lived in Freeport, and had a Porsche and a Datsun 280Z, and he would blare 1999 going down the street in Freeport because Prince was one of his favorite artists. So you see what's going on here. Prince was his was his favorite. He was his go-to guy. Uh, he ends up meeting Prince. He and his brother. It, I mean, it, it was it was a wild. It's it, it's wild to, to 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 make these connections. And again, these guys were local cats for a minute before they went super Hollywood. Before they went to New Jersey and Bubble Hill, the famous mansion in New Jersey, Alpine, New Jersey, they were very much local dudes. It's uh, the best. The best. Is you see Charlie's Murphy's hand, my friend Cyrus gave it to me on off of Facebook. Charlie's Murphy's hand going into heaven, and who's waiting there? there there's Prince, the basketball hoop in the background, holding up pancakes, and he went finally. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's going down, gentlemen. Uh, yeah. One last thing, uh, well, two things. <laughs> we 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 have to. These shows go. You wonder why these go for three hours, Q. Now you know. Uh, James Brolin as Thanos and Cable, uh, the mighty, I'm always using the term mighty, the mighty John Hutton flipped my wig when he thought of a black flag member, Henry Rollins. And I was obsessed with that. Henry Rollins should have been goddamn Cable. And I, I love James Brolin. You know, but, I, you know, come on, man. You don't money, have money, that- money. Yeah, but his his uh, mother, was his, his stepmother Josh is. is uh, I'm sorry, I, I was Josh. Was it Josh? Yeah, James Brolin is the father, right? Right. How do I write James Brolin? I told you what my mind is like. <laughs> yeah. Did you <laughs> just see Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Is that what you just saw, and that stuck? <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, but well, listen, I'm, I'm maybe dating myself, but yeah, James Brolin is the father, and I was about to say that Josh Brolin uh, is is uh, the stepson of. Of Barbara um, Streisand. I don't know. I mean, he's a good actor. I mean, you know, 
I wanted I wanted Josh Brolin as as uh, Batman, honestly. But anyway, his name was out there. I think he might he might have been pretty. He had the jaw of the Frank Miller book. I'm just saying. Anyway, what are your thoughts about this going around yeah. the horn? Like I said, money, money, money. So he's Thanos and he's Cable. He's going to get paid. <sighs> but well, uh, I, I, you know, I call it the Stewart factor, where you got Patrick Stewart, who I love as an actor, playing both Professor Xavier and um, uh, right off of playing another pop culture icon, uh, John Luke Picard. Yeah. I mean, can't you spread the wealth a little bit? But see, I think that, that I think that's not as accurate. You're talking about two different properties. I mean, in this case, you're talking about Marvel properties, comic books. You know, it's one thing to say that, uh, that Picard was a, a strictly science fiction um, space kind of thing versus being in a more grounded comic book. You know, it's it, it really two different worlds. This is literally the same world. I think that's, that's what kind of, it was a little bit off. Well, he's all, he's, I, I hear what you're saying, but he's made up in one. I, I'm, not, I'm not excusing it, but yeah. that's, that's, that's the, uh, the, the loophole. You can't really tell who it is when he's in the exactly. makeup. That's the loophole. I mean, there's so much CGI in, you know, in the representation of Thanos. So it's not like you can really see that it's him, whereas undoubtedly that'll certainly not be the case when he's uh, Cable. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's always going to be like this, where they have all these names that they want to throw out at you. There's the fan casting, names like, you know, oh, my gosh, what was his name? Stephen Lang. Right. The big name that we're, we're jumping at the, at the, chomping at the bit for. And now Dolph Lundgren is going to be an Aquaman. Okay. Nobody wants to see, nobody wants to see him. Who wants to see him? <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. Let's not be too quick. He, he was good at Arrow. About to say that. Let's not be quick. Let's not, you know. What, what I mean, I haven't be? even seen him in Arrow. I didn't see any of this this current season because I just I just gave up from what I saw of season four. I was like, okay, I'm just I can't waste my time. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, interesting casting news this week with 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 Josh Brolin and and Dolph Lundgren. I mean, I I like Brolin as as an actor, you know. I think that uh, this is an interesting choice. I think that I think he's age appropriate. I think he's he's got the necessary gruffness. Um, I think Michael Shannon would have been an interesting choice because he is so brilliant. Like that he guy is, is just yeah, in terms of being like hypnotic in terms of his presence. Again. And he was in, if, he was in Man of Steel though, so exactly. You got that if he would have if he was in this, it would have been jumping ship in the comic book world anyway, because he was Zod. Um, I would have gone with Ron Perlman myself, and he was Hellboy. But oh yeah, he was good too. Ron Perlman would have been ill too. Ron Perlman would have been fantastic. Ron Perlman, he's got that built-in silver flat top, so already so, we we envision it. So did Henry Rollins, though. I, I, thought, I thought Henry Rollins being kind of like a, a kind of like an outsider, somewhat, and he, he's kind of he's very brainy guy, very talented, Black Flag member going back to the '80s, late '70s. I, I, I would have liked to have seen him. And I mean, he really looks. And he's got that gritty demeanor. And that's what uh, John mentioned. I, I wasn't even thinking about him. And I don't know. Sometimes you don't have to go Hollywood all the way all the time. I thought it would have been refreshing. 
to have someone like that be cable. But you know what? What do we know? We're just blurs and nerds of color. Ah, you know what? Whatever. Lastly, <laughs> and we'll close shop. I mean it this time. Justice League Mortal, George Miller. Uh, that's kind of come back up for I guess discussion. That you know George Miller. We know from the um, ah, we just saw it last year. What was it? It was pretty good. The Mad Max, the Mad Mad Max film, Furiosa World. Mad Max, George Miller. Yeah, that was two years ago. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, they had, they, from my understanding, Justice League Mortal was really ready to be filmed, and it, it did a quick turnaround because of a writer strike and something else. But I mean, it, you know, I don't. This would have came in before the Marvel Machine. So I think that makes it interesting. 2008 is when we saw uh, Iron Man and The Dark Knight. So do you think if Miller, if he had got his hands on Justice League Mortal, I think even Common was going to be was going to be Green Lantern in this film. Uh, what are your thoughts about what this could have been? Do you think things might have been completely different? Mm. DC is going to DC. Warner Brothers is going to Warner Brothers. Uh, I don't know, they man. would have announced it, and we'd be in the same spot again. Or Sorry it could have gone. It could have gone nowhere, like Green Lantern. Yeah. Green Lantern was, when, when did Green Lantern come out? That was later. What was Green Lantern? Two thousand eleven or something like that? Was it no. that long ago? Was it? Was it two thousand? I thought I was thinking two thousand nine. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that didn't didn't Batman Begins come out before that? Yeah, Batman Begins came out in 2003. They had no consideration of any kind of interconnected universe at this point. And I think that at so that time. So how do you do a Justice you... League movie without a Batman? Uh. Or a duplicate Batman. That doesn't. Yeah. See, there's just too many, too many pieces of that that just doesn't quite make sense, from, you know, this standpoint in hindsight. I mean, it's interesting to think about, I guess, because you know George Miller is, he's an interesting guy, interesting director. His uh, body of work is so unique. It's like it's all over the place. You know, he's kind of like. Um, it's kind of like Ang Lee. Like Ang Lee, his if you look at his resume, like he just the films that he does, it's just they're they're so different from each other, many of them. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I it's it's hard to tell because at that time, at that time DC wasn't thinking about crossovers and you know expansion of a universe or in, interconnectedness or anything like that. So it would have just probably been a one-off. You know, trying to trying to maybe get a trilogy, trying to milk a trilogy out of it, like you know the X Men movies were trying to do, and the, the first Spider Man movies were trying to do. I mean, it's it really there's so many comic book attempts, comic book adaptation attempts that have been made over the years, but it's only a recent you know phenomenon that has delineated it as a viable form of storytelling. Do you know what I'm saying? Whereas before, before it was just something silly and hokey and just every now and then something for the kids, 
or the, you know, the diehard uh, comic book fanboys, and that was it. You know, that was it. That was why they were so, they were so uh, infrequent, just intermittently. They would throw these at us. But now, now, I mean, look, 2017, it's going to be Logan, Guardians of the Galaxy, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Justice League 1. I mean, look at where we are now. So it's just it's it's difficult to try to speculate on what what could have been before people even had a notion of how to, to you know construct these types of movies to where you know they could be remotely taken seriously. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, let me put let me put it this way: the reason why I think this might have been might have been a bit more favorable because you didn't have a Marvel machine. Uh, DC at that point was still making pretty serious stuff. Uh, yeah, you were correct. Of course, they had Batman Begins before that. There would have been a different Batman. So I don't know how that would have played out. But you, you, I'm looking clearly. I think there's even a documentary that I got to look look out for. But uh, there was a Superman, DJ Cortrona as Superman. Army Hammer would have been Bruce Wayne. So you had a Batman, Superman, a Flash, a Wonder Woman. Green Lantern was common, so you would have already course corrected on that. Uh, you had uh, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman. I mean, Iris Allen. Some of what, how this is described, it was $220 million, which was a lot of money, cause even for 2007. 20 now is kind of like, okay, half expected. We're going back 10 years now. So something leads me to believe that this might have been uh, a little bit more interesting, and there was nothing to no, – no frenzied, no frenzied uh, zeitgeist in the air to say we got to rush this too because Marvel's on our heels. They would have just they would have just put together a movie. It would have been any any in- interference. I mean, if you have Common in there as Green Lantern, that means they already had the foresight not to do the Hal Jordan thing. Which they ended up doing happened. later on anyway. Yeah. So I don't, I, know. I don't know. I don't know, but that ten years ago, that is an inflated budget. I mean, yeah. it, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense as to why the timeline, writer strike plus, uh, you know, a crazy budget that's out of control. It's In no Australia. wonder that it didn't. It just, it's no wonder. It's no wonder that it didn't work. I mean, there's no way. There's no way. Very few movies are allotted that kind of money even now. Ten years ago, I, I just, I, yeah, there's no way. Daryl, any thoughts on this? Justice League Mortal, and then we'll close shop. Uh, the only thought is we could we could actually make a movie on all the discarded ideas that we would have been pumped up for that Warner Brothers and DC has thrown aside. You know, so, hey, you know, you had Death of Superman, you had different Batman iterations, you, you have this, you know, all of these. If we were in the room, we would have found a, made, a way to make it work. So... What else can you do? Broken dreams, broken thoughts. Back to you, AfroNerd. Uh, as always, folks, I always have a great deal of pre- pleasure doing the show with, with uh, my friends and cohorts and colleagues and our callers. Uh, onward and upward, uh, uh, John Hutton from the left coast, appreciate you coming through. Claire, you know how I feel. Always appreciate you coming through and uh, giving, you, giving us your passion. Uh, the uncanny, your knowledge. The captain's already left the scene. <laughs> It is what it is. Q so, and Sergio. Uh, 
Wednesday and then Saturday, I'm biding my time, folks, with Guardians of the Galaxy. Hopefully they don't, they don't let off any more clues. Please, no more clues. Um, going out on a classic, uh, this is for Claire, I suspect. I th- Claire, you like Chaka Khan, don't you, as a vocalist? Yeah, of course. This is Love You All My Lifetime, <laughs> one of my favorite cuts, one of my favorite artists, Chaka Khan. Uh, next week, folks, we'll do it again. It's been real. See ya. Yeah.